Welcome in, everybody. Episode 65 of Force for the Podcast. Andrew May alongside Rob Jufre with you. As always, our good friend Bruce Shine will join the show in just a little bit. And a lot of stuff to get to. We're recording on Tuesday. It is uh, June the... 22nd, I believe. Yes, June 22nd is the date. Episode will be out tomorrow, Wednesday, June 23rd. Uh, Like I said, a lot of stuff to get into. We'll talk about some baseball. Yankees have kind of turned their tide over the past week and a half with some big wins. A good series sweep against the Toronto Blue Jays. Took two out of three from the first place Oakland Athletics. And then they got a series at home against the Kansas City Royals starting tonight with their ace Garrett Cole on the mound. So a good situation for the Yankees. They picked up some ground in the standings, too, with the Rays sort of free-falling a little bit. The Rays on a six-game losing streak. They've just called up their top prospect, Wanda Franco, uh, who is a top prospect in all of baseball to kind of insert some life into that team. So we'll get into the Yankees. We'll talk about the Mets a little bit and the Mets are starting to get healthy from a position player perspective. And as that's starting to happen, they're starting to get a rash of injuries on the pitching side of things. So with the Mets sitting in first place, they still have a four game lead, but with all these injuries, they might be in the market for a trade. So we'll talk about those possibilities where they stand uh, series with the Atlanta Braves that started last night, split two games of a double header. They got a game tonight and tomorrow. So they'll try to win that series against Atlanta. Uh, we'll talk about, The New York Rangers, who have hired Gerard Gallant, you know, we talked about the hire last week, but he also had his opening introductory press conference today. So we'll we'll touch on that a little bit. Uh, But we'll start things off with the Brooklyn Nets, who lost a heartbreaking game, game seven to the Milwaukee Bucks the other night in overtime to end their season prematurely. And Rob, I mentioned last week on the podcast that a, a lot of people, a lot of people in the media specifically were saying that the onus was kind of off the Brooklyn Nets to get it done this year because of the bad hand that they were dealt with injuries and that the pressure wasn't on them because they weren't necessarily expected to win with a shorthanded lineup minus Kyrie Irving and with a compromise James Harden. But I actually brought up the flip side of that argument and said, I think it actually enhances the pressure because now that's one less kick at the can that you have to warrant trading all those assets for James Harden um, before you send your franchise into misery, which is undoubtedly going to be the case once all these guys either retire or leave in free agency, whatever comes first. Uh, so they lose to the Bucks, and they had a 3-2 series lead, lost in game six, had a lead in game seven, but couldn't get it done. Obviously not having the star power of Kyrie is a big storyline here because he didn't provide enough offense. Uh, it basically was the Kevin Durant show, and he just could not get it done all by himself. And he, he played tremendously at the later part of that series. It was clear that James Harden wasn't himself. He was a shell of himself offensively. We already know that Harden is not the best defensively, but um, – Joe Harris was a big, a big missing piece in this series. And I say missing because he was on the court, but he wasn't really contributing in any way, shape or form. He was missing every shot he took from the outside. He adds a layer to the Nets offense that even with that star power, if you can take one of those guys out of the game, it makes your job a little bit easier when you don't have James, uh, Joe Harris hitting shots from the outside. And we've been talking about the Knicks for the longest time here and how they need to add an outside shooter. They need a guy on their team like Joe Harris. And you saw without Joe Harris on his A game, how much was missing offensively for the Brooklyn Nets. So their season ends prematurely. I don't expect there to be major shakeups with that team. They're going to run things back next year. But Rob, there's no doubting that this season was a massive disappointment, not because they lost, because obviously we know that they lost because they were shorthanded, but it's a disappointment because now 
all your eggs are in one basket with next season and you have one opportunity, if healthy, to go and make a championship run. Are they going to be the overwhelming favorite when the season opens next year to win the championship? I'd imagine they probably will be. If they're not one, they're two behind the Lakers. And we'll see how the offseason shakes out in terms of the additions that other teams make. But now all the pressure is on them in 2022 to try to get this done and try to warrant that trade for James Harden. And uh, it's disappointing for Nets fans. And you got Philadelphia, too, who was knocked out. You're talking about if the Nets are able to get out of that series, taking on Atlanta in the Eastern Conference Finals, again, that's a series that they could have easily won to get into the NBA Finals. So it's a disappointing end to the season for the Nets, for sure. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Net fans and the Net organization have to be devastated. It's not the way they envisioned it, that's for sure, especially after they made the trade for James Harden. But look, injuries happen. Hey, we said this last week, Andrew. You can make the greatest trades in the world. You know, the James Harden trade was a no-brainer. Uh, but, you know, look, hamstring injury. The guy was playing on a grade two hamstring. All the credit in the world to that guy. And I think he picked up a lot of respect points from uh, around the NBA and the NBA fans because, you know, he, he played on a bum leg. And, and he played a lot of minutes. Mm-hmm. So one guy, look, you can't blame Kevin Durant for this. Kevin Durant was unbelievable. I mean, the guy was a cheat code, for God's sake. Playing all 48 minutes. I mean, it it was just, it was insane. Yeah. He really was insane. So you can't even fault him. But again, injuries play a factor, you know, and you're going to see the same thing with the Nets next year. Kyrie Irving will play 25 games. James Harden usually plays. He usually plays. He doesn't get hurt, but who knows? You know, listen, he's got a a lot of wear and tear on him, James Harden, at this point right now. He's played a lot of minutes. He's played a lot of basketball over his career. So All all these guys are on the wrong side of 30 now. Yeah, so you don't know if this is going to be the start of a little bit of a downfall. They'll have their numbers, but are they going to be missing games? You're going to have to be worried about them in the playoffs. You're going to have to see this load management all over again, probably during the season again with the Nets. But really disappointing end. I mean, look. You can't fault them for the James Harden trade. You know, I know everybody's looking at that now saying, oh, you know, what's the future going to look like? They they had to do that while, while the iron is hot. You have to. You have to strike like that. And you look at the sixes on the flip side, and I'll tell you something, Andrew. You're going to see upheaval with some of these teams, I think. Some of these teams are disappointed. One of them being the sixes with Ben Simmons, who Doc Rivers and Joel Embiid basically threw him under the bus and then backed it up three or four times over him. In, in a presser after the game, and rightfully so, but you just don't hear that from a coach and your star player. But you have Donovan Mitchell in Utah, a lot of rumblings in New Orleans now with Zion Williamson. And you, everybody heard that interview with Zion Williamson, how happy he was to be playing in the garden. That guy wants to be here. I don't care what anybody says. Zion Williamson wants to be here in New York at the garden. There's no doubt in my mind. Now, will they trade him? Look, probably not. They don't have to, of course. But look, you never know. These NBA stars, they make a stink. They get their way. We see it all the time, Andrew, right? Yeah. We see it, especially in the NBA. You, the NBA is the NBA is set the precedent. way out of a place. Yeah, the Damian NBA is set the precedent sport wide. Sport wide. I mean, you 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 don't see it as much, and you don't see it in hockey, but and you see it less in baseball than you do in the NFL and the NBA. But basketball has set the precedent where the star player can can cry, they can bitch and moan, and they can get their way out of any situation, whether for the right reasons or the wrong reasons. They've set the precedent that enables these athletes to do that, and you see it in the NBA consistently for the past three four years now in the off season. I mean, it's rumor mill galore with all these star players who are unhappy in their current situation. And, you know, as far as Zion Williamson, you know, I agree with you 
that he definitely wants to be here. He was probably a little upset and, you know, you, you, you could criticize the kid and say, ah, oh, you know, you're 19 years old. You're getting a number one pick. You, you know, beggars can't be choosers. You're in a great situation. I get all that. But now he's solidified himself as a bona fide NBA player now. And he's starting to see that New Orleans is probably not the best place for him. But, you know, from a Knicks perspective, I don't really know if that would be a good fit because Zion Williamson, he's a big name. He's box office. He could certainly play. But I had this conversation with a couple of my friends during the week. I don't really think that Zion Williamson puts the Knicks in, in a much better situation than they are right now because they're still lacking what they truly need and that's scoring from the outside. I mean, Zion Williamson is essentially, uh, he has the same skill set, maybe from a younger and more athletic degree to Julius Randle. So I don't really know if that takes the Knicks over the edge. A guy like Donovan Mitchell would be a guy that would intrigue me because that's a guy who could command the ball, who can handle the ball on the perimeter, who can knock down shots from the outside and can run an offense. And we'll we'll see what happens as this offseason goes along. But there's no shortage of storylines when it comes to star players and whether or not they're going to be wearing the same uniform come 2022. Yeah. And look, you're right about the whole Zion Williamson factor, but he's look, he's a superstar talent. He's a superstar name. He's only 19, 20 years old. He'll be next season. So I mean, to have a kid of, of his ability, you know, not that the garden needs to draw, but you know, a lot of things you read is a lot of the NBA players were impressed with the garden crowd in the playoffs. And look, I've always said this, no matter what, no matter how bad the Knicks could be, 18,000 strong every game for the Knicks, no matter how bad they could be, no matter, it doesn't matter. And the fans are on their feet to energize. And in the playoffs, it, it just, it took it to a whole nother level. It took you back to the 90 teams, you know, when the Knicks were good with the Patrick Ewings and the John Starks and Larry Johnsons and, and, and those sort of fan bases. It's the same thing all over again. And a lot of players did comment, you know, you read it on Twitter. I read it in the athletic. They were commenting about the crowd at the garden and it was impressive. So again, you're looking at that as a player. You don't want that atmosphere here. Do you want to be in New Orleans? Do you want to be in Portland? Do you want to be in Utah? Is that what you want? I mean, look, Donovan Mitchell's a New York kid. Father has actually worked for the New York Mets. You know, so I don't know. It's, I, I get a feeling you're going to see some, you're going to see some movement here in the NBA. Just get that feeling now. There's a lot of guys that seem disgruntled. There's a lot of teams that underperformed this season. So let look, the Knicks have assets. They have draft capital, and they have young players. Let's see what happens. Well, you know. mentioned you mentioned these teams who are going to be in upheaval, and I, I think that the Sixers actually deserve discussion because oh, one hundred percent. I don't think I've ever seen a, a fall from grace for a young, uh, talented kid like I have from Ben Simmons. And he doesn't want to shoot, Andrew. He I'll be on shoot. I'll be on the record as saying that I've always, always from the very beginning thought that Ben Simmons was the most overrated player to ever touch a basketball court. I mean, Absolutely. I get that he does a lot of things. Well, he's tremendous defensively. He can run an offense. He's good at handling the ball and he's, he's, a, he's a big body for the position that he plays. All that is well and good, but we're in NBA now where shooting rules the day. And he not only can't shoot the basketball, refuses to shoot the basketball. And he was so far in his own head during this series, who, by the way, for the last five games of this series, only attempted three field goals in the fourth quarter of all five of those games. One point, like you said, Rob, he is at, on the low block 
makes a spin move, has a wide open lane for a dunk, and he passes it off because he was anticipating that he was going to be fouled, and he was petrified to go to the free throw line because he was shooting 34% from the free throw line in that series. And you mentioned before how Doc Rivers and Joel Embiid threw him under the bus. I mean, they asked Joel Embiid when the game started getting out of reach from them, and he said the turning point was when we had a wide open bucket, we passed it up and then couldn't convert from the free throw line. Talking about that play with Simmons, Doc Rivers was asked straight up, can Ben Simmons be the point guard of a championship winning team? Doc Rivers said, I don't know the answer to that. Well, we know the answer to that because of that answer. The answer is no. The answer is no. And it's not even like the Sixers can trade this guy because the value is at an all-time low. I mean, this was on the biggest stage possible, and you just saw a complete fall from grace for that kid. Again, I'm on the record saying that I've always thought that he was overrated and he was overhyped, but I couldn't have envisioned him falling from grace like this. I mean, that was embarrassing. It was pathetic to watch. I tell you, he, he's going to be a guy that somebody's going to take a chance with. There's no way he stays in Philadelphia. I, I don't think there's any chance that he stays in Philly. Now, what's his value on the open market? There is no value, I don't think. There's no well, value to you know a what? point guard. I don't, I don't know. As, look, I don't know as, if anyone I, could take him, Rob, because there are 40 million reasons why you shouldn't take him. Yeah, He's on I a max understand. contract right now. I don't know if any team's going to want to take that on. I, I understand, but somebody might want to take a shot with him. Hopefully, you, they're going to unlock something out of him. I mean, he's still a talented player, albeit he doesn't want to shoot. Still, a, he's a great defensive player. He's a great passer. He just doesn't want to shoot, but you got to hope maybe you can unlock something in a kid. He's still a young kid. Now, does it happen? We don't know. Who knows? Maybe he's the type of guy the Knicks take a chance on. Who the hell knows? I don't know. I don't know. I tell you, though, it, it, this was this was the, the year for the Sixers, too, especially seeing all the their, in, their injuries windows, for Brooklyn. Their window shut. Yeah. They're done. The, the, the window was wide open for them this season, the and it just slammed shut abruptly. Yep. They're done. Yep. They're and done. I, do, you, do you think that Doc Rivers is still around, or is it a one-year stint for him? I think he's still around. I don't, I don't think he gets fired. He's still Doc Rivers. Um, I, I think their problems was after MB. There's nothing else there. Ben Simmons never amounted to anything. Doc Rivers couldn't get anything out of him. So I, I think, yeah, I think Rivers stays. I think Rivers stays. Yeah. And they get uh, a I lot do. of money to Tobias Harris, too. And he's a nice player, but good player, he's not, a, he's not he's at that a superstar player. level. Yeah. No, he's a good player. That's what he is. He's just a good player. Yeah. That's all he is. He's a and good th- player. And think about it. The Sixers probably wouldn't have even gotten it to seven games if it wasn't for Seth Curry. Not Steph Curry. Right. Steph Curry. Steph Curry yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable what well, happened. Look, in you had some, you know, the, the Atlanta Hawks really distinguished themselves. It's amazing. My God. And in a game where Trey I mean, Young shot three for 20, what was he? Yeah, three for terrible. 20 from the field. And they yeah. still end up winning in game seven. It's unbelievable. Yeah, Kevin Herter had an awesome game for them. And that yeah, game well, listen, we said it during the Knicks series. They're deep. They're deep, Andrew. They go 10 deep. Yeah. You know, and then obviously the coaching change and Nate McMillan made all the difference in the world. So look, they look like they could be on their way to a, to a, a you know, a finals here. They really do because I, I could see them beating the Bucks, to be honest with you. Oh, for sure. I mean, why not? For sure. So, and then the Phoenix Suns, who we talked about being underappreciated, they've walked pretty much waltzed their way into the Western Conference finals that- and shorthanded without their point guard, Chris Paul. Beat the Clippers in game one. They have a 1-0 series lead, and they'll play game two. How do, you, how do you think the NBA feels about a, a Phoenix-Milwaukee or Phoenix-Atlanta finals? Oh, they're probably uh, foaming at the mouth <laughs> with excitement, right? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Do, do the Clippers? I mean, 
would I, I mean, without the, Kawhi Leonard, I mean, mean the, the, the Clippers. The, I mean, the I know Clippers Chris are still Paul a semi-box office just because it's Los Angeles. Like same with Brooklyn, they're second but with fiddle no in the Kawhi city. Leonard, they they, do they even have a shot at the Suns with no Kawhi Leonard? I know Chris Paul's been out with the COVID situation. He'll probably miss. He's going to miss the second game. I don't know if he's going to miss a third game, but you know they say he'll probably be back. But I just think the Suns have too much still there, you know, for the Clippers. I don't know. Yeah, I, mean, I think listen, this, I think the Suns handle that series easily. I'm interested uh, for this Eastern Conference final series because people counted Atlanta out. I mean, we were on this podcast saying that that was probably the most favorable matchup for the Knicks, which I still yeah. think it was. But I mean, they've surprised people with how well they handled the Knicks and how much they dominated that series, and then beating Philadelphia, who we thought this was their year, the window was open for them. And they played really well in that series, too. And again, being able to get it done when your best player is shooting three of 20 from the field. I think people are finally on alert of how good the Hawks can be. And this goes to show how deep they are. This will be a good are. series. Yeah. It goes to show how deep they are. And it goes to show the greatness of Trey Young because other guys had great games around him. And he makes other players around him better. And that's, that's, the, that's the talent level of Trey Young. You know, it's not just indi- an individual talent. It's not, you know a James Harden type talent where Harden's just a great scorer, you know, great player, but other guys around him, he doesn't make great. He doesn't elevate that game. Trey young does do that. And yep. you could see it with this roster. So we spent some time talking about the Knicks a little bit. We'll, we'll talk about the other team on the garden before we get into the baseball. That's the New York Rangers. We talked about how we felt about the Gerard Gallant hire last week. And he had his introductory press conference with the media today. And Listen, I mean, I've said this on the podcast before, Rob, you you can't overreact to an introductory press conference because ultimately every coach who's worth their salt is going to say all the right things. But let's call it for what it is. Gallant said all the right things. And we know the direction this team needs to needs to be headed in and the moves that they need to make to address the roster and fill it out. And he said one line that I think just stood out to me the most and it's gaining traction. A lot of people are talking about it and it sounds cliche, but it, it. It's just the truth. He basically said, I want my team to be the hardest working team on the ice and our opposing team, whether they beat us or they lose to us, I want them to leave to the arena saying, damn, that, that team worked hard. And they want, they want, he wants the other team to be tired out when they come into the garden and play the New York Rangers. And that's what you need. And that kind of speaks to what's missing on the roster. So again, it's a press conference. You take it with a grain of salt. Ultimately there's, there's moves that need to be made and there's parts of this roster that need to be addressed. But that one little line right there, I think steered me in the direction of believing that they know what this team is lacking as well. And that everybody here seems to be on the same wavelength as far as addressing the needs. Yeah, well, and he also made a point of saying Tampa, Tampa Lightning didn't did not win a Stanley Cup until they started playing with some sandpaper, you know, with sandpaper guys. They started getting a little tougher. They started getting tougher to play against. There was no longer a sexiness to them. Yeah, they have world class talent there, but now you add guys like the Pat uh, the Pat Maroons of the world. You know, you you get that feistiness there. You know, so Yanni Gord and Colon and guys like that and Sorelli. And guys like that, you start adding those pieces to the mix. You got to have that sandpaper. You need to have that grit. Again, he even mentioned it. Chris Drury mentioned it. He goes, you look at these playoffs. And I've been saying it for the last three weeks, Andy. You look at these playoffs. And it's all about grit, energy, hustle, uh, uh, body checks, you know, fighting for space. And Gerard Gallant said, listen, you got to be able to score dirty goals. You can't, you, you cannot just play a perimeter game in the NHL. You cannot do it. So with that being said, you might see some upheaval in the Ranger roster here. 
you might see some trades that, you know, years ago in, in, in the 94 season, Andrew, the Rangers had a guy named Tony Amante. Tony Amante was, was uh, um, a young player on the Rangers that the Rangers had developed. Hell of a goal scorer. But Mike Keenan said, I need grit on this team. I need grit. We need north-south players. And they traded a, a big talent in Tony Amante for, for Stefan Mateau and Brian Noonan, two guys that were no, nowhere near the talent level of Amante because Amante is, was, you know, like a Pavel Buchnevich. You know, just somebody to compare that's, him. That's and, the name I was thinking of. You know, yep. somebody to that to that ability. And they wound up making that deal because Mike Keenan told Neil Smith, the GM at the time, and Mike Keenan, the coach, obviously, of the Stanley Cup winning Rangers that year, said, listen, we got to have grittiness here. These are the two guys I want. And they had to give up an Amante. Did the deal look good at the time? No. But it got them what they needed to take them over the top. And that's what the Rangers are going to need to do. So you might see the Filipinos. You might see the craft uh, uh, softs of the world getting dealt. You might even see uh, maybe a Kako might get dealt for what they need. Although I do think Kako can play that sort of a power game. I think it's in him. I think he's young. So I'd be careful looking to deal him. But I could see Hedl going. I could see Kravtsov going. I could see some of these younger players going in deals to bring back these sandpaper type guys where it doesn't look like a great deal on paper, but it, it makes your roster look a little bit more complete because you got to have that edge, as I've said time and time again on this podcast for a year and a half. Yeah. And they also have the cap. They also have a little bit of cap flexibility this offseason to sure. be able to address those needs too. Or in the sense of what you're alluding to, maybe you can part with a guy like a Heedle or you can part with a guy like a Buchnevich to bring in some toughness and grittiness and then address that loss in goal scoring or production in the via the free agent market. So there's flexibility to be had here. They're not in a cap crunch like they have been in recent years, paying for the mistakes of you know, uh, not mistakes, because, again, they were trying to strike while the iron was hot and they traded a lot of first round picks away and gave a lot of veterans contracts in route to try to win a Stanley Cup a few years ago. But, you know, we're starting to see that a lot of those buyouts are out the window and some of the buyouts that are still under the current cap. The cap hits are a lot less. I'd imagine they'll probably end up buying buying out Tony D'Angelo, which they haven't done so yet. But once the once the league year closes, I'd imagine that'll probably be the first move they make is to buy out D'Angelo, which will give him a little bit of flexibility too. Look, I'll be honest with you. If Gallant says, hey, listen, I could use this kid. I like this kid's game. What do they do? What if Gallant came in and told Chris Drury, hey, I like this kid's game. He's got the edge. You know, he's got that sort of ability and he does have ability to the kid. You know, that, that, that uh, uh, you know, I, I want on my roster here. I'd be careful just jettisoning Tony D'Angelo out of here right away. Yeah, and I know, you know the what? Rangers had some depth on defense. I get it. But it's not a, that's not a guarantee. And again, Tony D'Angelo plays with that edge that sometimes you need on a team. I, I, you know, I understand, you know, there was some political bullshit going on, which was all bullshit. I mean, listen, he had his own political views. Uh, you know, they didn't agree with it. But you know what? Tough shit. It was his political view. Okay, put that aside. All of a sudden, you have the 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 incident with Alexander Georgiev, and if you're going to tell me that's never happened on any given major sports team ever, they're full of shit. Yeah, it's happened. It's 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 in a highly energized, emotional game. It happens. And we can and we can call a spade a spade here. If the person who was involved in that fight's political views align with everyone else's, 
it's not nearly made as oh, big as it was. If, if he, listen, if he goes all liberal, I'm sorry. I'm going to say it now. He goes all liberal. It's not a problem. Yeah, he supports no, you're Donald exactly Trump right. and, it's, and, and, and the conservative view, it's a problem. So it's bullshit. You know, the Rangers just gave in to what, what, what social justices were demanding, which was bullshit. Okay, fine. But the whole Georgia thing on top of that, okay, he got pissed off at the guy, led into an argument, led into a fight. Again, is that the first time that ever happened on a team? No, it's not. And it won't be the last. So, listen, I, I, I'd give Galan credit if he were to go in there and tell Drury, hey, we could use this kid. He's a talented kid. He's the sort of edge we need. And I agree with that. He is that sort of edge you need. Now, maybe Galan can get more out of the kid. You know, look, he's had his ups and downs. You know, on the ice, I get that defensively, but you know, how many Rangers have had ups and downs over the last couple of years? Yeah, that's we've the reason that they haven't been He's a playoff team. not the only team. guy. That's the reason they haven't been a playoff team is because we've right. seen ups and downs from a lot of these right. guys. Right, it's inconsistency. It's so, inconsistency, right. But the kid's got talent. I'll tell you the truth. He worked the power play. You know, he was very good on the first power play unit. He was yeah. very good. And again, he had the feistiness. He protected teammates. Now, you know, again, that's I'm, what I'm, you want. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I just, it's a fair point. But I just don't think that Gallant would be willing to go out on a limb from a like from a PR perspective. His first thing, you know, stepping into a new role in New York City with a lot more media coverage. His first role is going to be to bring back a guy who was outcasted and basically you know, left you know for what? Dead. It's the reason why Gerard Gallant got fired in his other stops and his other coaching stints is because he was outspoken and he did say what he felt like his roster needed and who he wanted and who he didn't want. And from what you read, GM's got a little tired of that situation. Okay, fine, understand. So maybe Gallant did go in and say, hey, listen, could this D'Angelo thing be rectified here? If it can, let's try and work on it just before we just get rid of a kid that we could probably use on this roster because we don't have that sort of that sort of uh, uh, character on our roster. You know, well, as far it, as his fightiness and his edge. You can't save definitively that it can't be rectified because the people who said it couldn't be rectified are no longer with the organization. Right. Quinn, Gorton, Davidson. Those were the right. three guys who were at the forefront of this right. whole entire issue with D'Angelo right. and they're no longer part of the organization. So right. you never know. It you could happen. Know. It could happen. Uh, so we'll, we'll start talking about the baseball and we'll get our buddy Bruce on in a couple minutes to join the conversation. We'll start off with the Mets. And I mentioned this in the open of the show. Um, but it bears repeating, obviously. The Mets have been dealing with injuries all season long, particularly to their lineup, their position players, and they're starting to get healthy from that perspective. I mean, Jeff McNeil was activated the other night. Michael Conforto was supposed to be activated tonight, but uh, he didn't end up being activated. And I think due in part to the fact that there's a lot of rain in the forecast, you don't necessarily want a guy coming back from a hamstring injury playing in slippery conditions. That coupled with the fact that Jonathan VR came up lame last night uh, with a calf injury. And I think the Mets are probably going to wait a day and see if VR needs an IL stint. If he does need an IL stint, then boom, Conforto can just take VR's place on the roster. Uh, if he's good to go, then obviously a, uh, a move needs to be made to get someone off the 26-man and, roster. And they just they just said that Brandon Drury got sent down. They brought up Pat Mazika, so it looks like Tom, uh, Tomas Nito will probably be doing, a, be doing an IL stint also yeah, after, after getting, getting hit by, hit by a pitch. pitch last night. Yeah, yeah, it didn't look good. It didn't look good. No, I predicted that, that would good. probably be the case. And he came yeah. right out of the game. Well, well, he tried to gut it out. He stayed in, stayed in for another half inning, but then he came out the next break. So um, kind of figured that that was going to happen too. But, you know, as the position players are starting to come back and get a little bit healthy, Rob, now they're starting to get a lot of injuries from the pitching perspective. Joey Lucchese, who 
I mean, we were ready to jettison him out of town in the beginning of the season, but quietly he put together a nice little workload for himself over his last five starts, 1.17 earn run average. And then we get the devastating news yesterday that he has a significant tear in his UCL and he will be undergoing Tommy John surgery. So that leaves the number five spot in the Mets starting rotation wide open. Uh, and David Peterson has been inconsistent all season long. He's certainly not someone that you can rely on, although he has been better in his last two starts. Rob and I have made it abundantly clear how we feel about David Peterson. There's not a lot of confidence in, from that front. Uh, Robert Gazelman has a torn lat. That's a piece in the bullpen that is now going to be out for a significant chunk of time. I mean, I think they said yesterday they're going to shut him down from throwing for six to eight weeks. So yeah, you probably won't see great, Gazelman. That's not a great loss. Familia is not a great loss. No, but you know Those what, Gisellman, Gisellman is a huge loss if you have injuries in your starting rotation as well because yeah. you're going to need those swing guys to eat innings, and now that's another guy that's off the board. Yeah, you'll find somebody of that ilk, though. You'll find and, somebody. And another reason why I think that Familia injury is big is because now that he's gone, they'll probably use Batances, who's coming back from injury, to take his place, and we all know how terrible Dylan Batances is. So that's the only reason why I think those injuries are actually are, are newsworthy, in my opinion, is just because of the replacements that I just don't know are going to be able to match the workload. And I mean, I know Familia has done a lot of harm in a Mets uniform as far as blowing games. And I know he's always on your shit list, but he has been good this season. His last two outings were not good, but you have to wonder if maybe he, this hip thing has been going on. Luis Rojas hinted at that yesterday that he's been dealing with this hip issue, his last two appearances. And maybe that's why he didn't have the same sink on his fastball. And that's why he got hit around a little bit, but uh, it looks like the Mets are going to be in the market for a starting pitcher. And obviously the deadline is a month away. So it's a little early to be going out on a limb and, and making a a big splash move. I think teams and general managers would rather wait to, to see their team's fate through a little bit of a more, a clearer lens closer to the deadline to really evaluate where they are and where they could be. Uh, but one name that keeps coming up, and I think this is a conversation I actually couldn't wait to have with you because I have a group chat with a bunch of my friends who are big diehard Mets fans, just like you and I, and a name that's being floated around is Jose Berrios. And Berrios is on the Twins, who have actually won five games in a row. I mean, they lost this afternoon to end that streak, but they're 10 games under 500 in a division that they have no chance in winning. And an American League, who's both of their wildcard teams are 15 games over 500. The Twins are out of it. They've been playoff frauds for the past couple of years. It is the it is anticipated that the Twins are going to be sellers at the deadline. Berrios is a very good starting pitcher. Uh He's got a year and a half left of team control. He would probably be the most valuable asset on that Twins team in terms of replenishing that form system a little bit and accelerating a mini rebuild, if you will, in Minnesota. And it was a trade package that was proposed on Twitter. It came from SNY. It was JT Ginn, second round pick from Mississippi State that the Mets took a couple years ago. Who's Ronnie already had his... Already had his Tommy John surgery. Already had his so. Tom Surrey, Tommy <laughs> Got John that surgery. Got out of the way. Got out of the way. <laughs> yep. These pitchers nowadays, I mean, they have Tommy John yeah. waiting to happen. So it's good they got yeah. it out of the way. But it was JT Ginn, uh, Junior Cortez, who is the number 10 ranked prospect in the Mets system, another pitcher, and Ronnie Mauricio, who's the number two prospect in the Mets system. And I unequivocally said in the group chat to all my friends, I said, no, I would not do this. I does, I think it's a massive overpay. I don't think the, ne the Mets need to be in a market for a top-end starting pitcher. I think they need back-end help. I wouldn't want to sell the farm. I'm not a prospect hugger. I understand that half these guys are not going to pan out. I'm all for trading prospects if it's for the right package. I don't think that's a package that warrants giving up that much. I personally think you're better suited to look at the, the lesser-tier secondary options that are a little cheaper. 
the John Grays, Michael Pineda's, Kyle Gibson's, uh, Danny Duffy's, that tier is starting pitcher. I think you need a number four starter. You don't need a guy like Berrios for that price. I- I'm just not for it. And I was ridiculed for it. I was told that I was undervaluing Berrios, that he's a stud, that our farm system sucks, that Mauricio has got no place to play. I do that trade in a heartbeat. The twins wouldn't even take that trade. That's These are the responses I got. I, I want to get your opinion on it. I-, I would not pay that price for Berrios. Nothing against Berrios. I think he's a tremendous pitcher, but I just don't think that that's really moving the needle uh, that warrants giving up a package like that. Yeah, I wish I was on that text thread with you, only because I would have agreed with your friends and said that you were an idiot. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, all for the reasons they just mentioned. You're undervaluing Berrios, who, in my opinion, put him on the Mets, and he's a stud. He's To me, he's a stud with Minnesota. You look at this kid's numbers over the past two, three years. He's still young. Put him in the Mets on a good team. Ronnie Mauricio, as your friends say, has no position to play. We don't know what he's going to amount to. We don't know what Ronnie Mauricio is going to be. How do we know what he's going to be? We don't no, even know no, what JT Ginn's going to be. Part of my part of my reasoning behind this too and, is that and what I you got to be. Go ahead, I would be a little. I would be a little reluctant to part with prospects right now, just because of the fact that. Matthew Allen had Tommy John surgery and Pete Crow Armstrong has that bad shoulder surgery. So that's, that's the opposite. That's not, that's a non-throwing shoulder for for Crow Armstrong. I'm not worried about him with that. To be honest with you, it's not, it's, it's his non-throwing arm. So I'm not that concerned about it. He'll be fine. He's young. Matthew Allen will come back. He'll have his Tommy John surgery. We'll have him there. He'll be there probably by the end of next year. He'll be healthier. I don't, we don't know what JT Ginn's going to be. We do not know what Ronnie Mauricio is going to be. I do know the, the 10th prospect you said was, um, what's his name? Uh, Junior uh, Cortez. Junior Cortez. He's the 10th rated prospect. Who the hell knows? Well, not Junior Cortez. I'm, I'm mixing up two guys. Junior Santos. Santos, yeah. So, look, it's not Alvarez. So, I wouldn't worry about it. You know, yeah, I get if that. If Alvarez was in that deal, I, I might say, okay, I, I'd have maybe a little reluctance to, to, uh, reluctance to it, but... Jose Berrios is a hell of a pitcher. Well, I know he's, Mets, I, I understand he's a very good pitcher. I do. And I'm going to tell you something right now. That package wouldn't even get it done. That wouldn't, that wouldn't even get it done for a guy of See, Berrios' I'm, I'm in the complete opposite boat as you. I said that the Twins would drive Berrios to City Field themselves if that was the I don't, package. I don't think so. Because you got to look. So. We, got, we got Marcus Stroman, who, I get it, they're totally different pitchers. But Marcus Stroman... It is a, of similar age. I mean, Berrios is 27. Stroman is 29. As far as production and years in the big leagues, they're similar production, similar pitchers from that point of view. And they gave well, up, they gave up a Berrios lot less. Berrios is a little bit more of a power pitcher. But He's a little at, bit more of a power pitcher. Yeah. But in terms of sheer numbers and production, Stroman and Berrios are very comparable. You got Stroman with two and a half years control and gave up much less of a package than that one that was just proposed. Look at Carlos Carrasco, albeit older than Berrios. I get that. But you got Carrasco, again, with more years of team control, and you got Francisco Lindor in that deal, and you still gave up less than this proposed package for Berrios. But, but I think you're overvaluing what the Mets are giving up. Ronnie Mauricio is, a, is going to be a, probably a nice little player. That's what he's going to be. See, he's, a number, he doesn't have, he's the number 60 prospect in all of baseball, though. That's, I, yeah, that's, but I know, but we've seen a lot of number 30 prospects and number 20 prospects fail. We've seen whether he's 60, 30, 20, 10, it doesn't matter. I don't think Mauricio has that sort of a ceiling. Who knows what JT Ginn's going to be? We do not know. I do know what Berrios is right now. I know that. I know he's a 27-year-old kid that's had a few good years already under his belt with the Minnesota Twins. And pitching in the American League, 
pitching with a DH in the lineup, you know, pitching in, in a division where, all right, look, are there tough teams in that division? No, there's not tough teams, but there's good offensive teams there. So, look, he he's definitely – look, he, he'd be a guy that I would drive to City Field myself for that package. I'd walk him there. I'd really? walk to Minnesota and fly him back. Oh, 100%. See, that, I, I can't, I can't is, agree. I just think it's too much. No I know, but you're overvaluing these prospects that the Mets have given up. They're not giving up that much. And I'm going to tell you something again right now. I guarantee you it's going to take more of a package than what the Mets would be giving up from any team in the league if Berrios is on the block. And I think Minnesota's crazy. Sign him. Sign him. Why wouldn't you want to sign this kid? You developed him. Yeah, but he the twins the, the twins are in ruin, though. I mean, they have a I, lot of I veterans on expiring contracts, and they're he, still 10 games a, under. But he's a 27-year-old kid. He's a, still a young guy. He's got another seven, eight years under his belt, probably. And he's right, probably but he's, got four or five quality years. But you have a veteran team who's consistently fallen short in the playoffs, and now they finally run into the brick wall, and they need a mini reset here. And Berrios is by far right. the most valuable but asset then they, they gotta have. But they got to get can't-miss prospects then for a kid of disability with Berrios. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not convinced that JT Ginn and and Ronnie Mauricio are can't miss prospects. No, I'm, I'm not. not I'm not necessarily them. convinced that they can't miss prospects either. But I just don't think you're getting the most bang for your buck, and I don't think a splash like that is needed because if you're going to be making a trade like that for a Jose Barrios, you can you could take to the bank that that's probably the last trade that the Mets make because they're not gonna they're not gonna be willing to completely gut the farm system more than it's already been gutted during Brody Van Wagenen's tenure. So I don't think that that one trade alone is going to move the needle. I think that they can get a lesser tier starting pitcher and maybe add a couple bench pieces. All of this is contingent upon health, right? I mean, they've dealt with a lot of injuries. As you get closer and closer to the deadline, you'll have a more clear outlook on the injuries and the prognosis and when guys are coming back. Heck, a lot of my friends are also in the boat that Carlos Carrasco is never going to pitch a game in a Mets uniform because they're natural pessimists. I'm not as pessimistic is that let's no wait and see. I'm not you worried wait, about that. Wait two, three weeks from now. And if Carrasco is healthy, then that even makes it less of a need to trade for a guy like Berrios. And then you can really focus in on, like I said, the John Grays and the Kyle Gibsons of the world. So, Brucey, what do you think of Jose Berrios? Uh, I have been underwhelmed. He's underachieved. You think uh, we've so? Been waiting, we've been waiting on this kid for a few years now. Uh, is he a change of scenery candidate? That, that's entirely possible. I mean, now he's now he, Bruce. Very good pitcher, but as far as the billing that he had coming up to the major leagues, he has not met expectations. No, uh, and in Minnesota, and to expect that to happen once he's under even a, you know, more high-profile microscope like he would yeah. be here in New York. And listen, Rob, this is not this is not like Jose Berrios' hate or me being a prospect hugger. If you remember correctly, our preseason. Uh, podcast, I picked Jose Berrios to win the American League Cy Young. Like, I think he's a hell of a pitcher, but he I'm not is? ready to give up a package for a guy who he's not, not that I don't think supposed to be a lot better than the, he is. The, also, the, Bruce, the proposed package that was proposed, it was on, on Twitter through SNY, was JT Ginn. It was it was a Met package. J, JT Ginn, Ronnie Mauricio, and the, Met, the Mets 10th prospect, which was Francisco Cortez. A junior, junior court, junior, junior, junior Santos, junior Santos. And, and for, for your reference, Bruce, I mean, Ronnie Mauricio, I'm sure you, you might be familiar with you him. Know, He's in a MLB top 100 prospect. And JT Ginn is their that. number six prospect. He was a second round pick. He's a right-handed pitcher, big, tall, right-handed pitcher from Mississippi state, who was their second round pick two years ago when they drafted Brett Beatty in the first round. So if that's the trade, do you drive Berrios to city field? Berrios, a free agent after 2022. 
Yes. After 2022. Yes. Yeah, I think I think it's going to take a little more than that. I, I know right. Mauricio's a guy that, that's highly thought of. I'm not all that familiar with the other guys you mentioned there, but giving the the dearth of you know high end arms that figure to be available this side of Max Scherzer, uh, I still think you're going to have to you're going to have to uh, no doubt up the ante there. Especially that the Twins will be looking like Andrew had mentioned. They'll be looking to do a reset here. And if their one big asset is Jose Berrios, they're going to want almost can't miss prospects in any uh, sort an of deal for him. Yeah, that, that's an excellent point because you use the operative word reset. They're not going to rebuild. They're not going to you know tear this thing down to the studs. They're, they're going to look to be an active player uh, in terms of contending in, in, in 2022. So you're going to have to probably give them most certainly more certainty than uh, – then you just delved out there. So let's flip the script now from a Mets perspective. If that deal does not get it done, are you willing as the New York Mets to add to that package? Or do you say, you know what? We don't need to make a big splash for the sake of making a splash. We can keep our prospect pool. That's already been gutted by the previous regime. And we can move on to the second tier options, such as Kyle Gibson, my, uh, Michael Pineda, John Gray, because in actuality, they didn't lose Jacob DeGrom here. They lost Joey Lucchese. So realistically, they need a back-end reliable option. They don't need to make a splash and get a guy like Berrios. So if you're the Mets, are you willing to up that package, or do you walk away and try to settle for the second-tier options? Well, again, I don't know how attractive that package you just presented is to begin with. Uh, I don't know what else is, is left down there. As you said, Brody Van Wagenen has, has stripped it down pretty uh, – pretty extensively there and you're right the, the Mets don't need a front end starting pitcher they have obviously the, the best that there is uh, in the universe right now in DeGrom and two other 1A type guys in terms of the way they're performing in Taiwan Walker and Marcus Stroman so they don't necessarily need a high-end guy I don't think they have to have any feel any sense of urgency to do something now again we have a long ways to go to the trading deadline and, you know, if you're the Twins or any other seller right now, I mean, you're going to wait this thing out as, as long as possible to get, you know, more more bidders into, into the fray here. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. that the, the remedy for what ails the Mets pitching staff right now, other than obviously healthy returns of uh, Carlos Carrasco and then maybe Noah Syndergaard down the road, and, and there you're talking about another couple of front-end type starters, is a back-end guy, and that kind of guy will be available to them in six weeks. Listen, right now the Mets are sitting pretty, fellas. They, they, they have a very comfortable lead in their division. They're getting virtually all of their walking wounded back in terms of their everyday lineup in the, in the coming days. Uh, I, I was not a big fan of the way they've handled DeGrom here. Uh, I, I said last week I wouldn't have even started him in the game, uh, you know, against the Cubs, and, and I certainly was against them pushing the envelope with them uh, yesterday, but you know what? As long as he's okay and, and Stroman and, and Walker perform at the levels they have, where they are in the standings, given the walking mass unit that, that's returning, uh, I don't think the Mets should feel pressed to do anything of any consequence at this point. Yeah, and they're returning just in time because the last four weeks, as they said yesterday on SNY, 50, 57% of the Met runs have been scored via the home run. So it's been a problem for them to generate offense. They're 29th in the league in runs scored. So look, they're at the bottom of the barrel. So these guys can't come back soon enough. But let's hope, let's hope they're not they're not still uh, um, 
batting to the level of what they were when Conforto went down, when McNeil went down, because those guys were absolutely god awful. So let's hope that they 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 yeah, but they're they, Rob, they're stars. Let, well, I'm so saying those, let's those let's guys, hope those guys are star players. Let's they're, hope they gonna... start hitting to the back of their baseball cards. As for Degrom, I have no problem with the Mets pushing the envelope because I I just think everything was too cautionary. It was way too cautious. Every test, MRIs, two three MRIs on his elbow, on his shoulder, on his lat, on this, and everything comes up clean. Totally clean, no issues, no problems. I think again, it's too much of a cautionary tale here. Yeah, but I, Rob, I had no well, problem Ron, with them. Ron Darling the said it on the broadcast. And I don't even think they pushed the envelope here. There was no injury. There's no injury. Yeah, and Ron Darling said it on the broadcast perfectly. He said, I think DeGrom is an otherworldly specimen who is probably one of the rare cases of guys who feel 100% every single time they pitch. He said, and now he's 33 years old. He might be at the point now where there's some starts where he might not feel 100%. And you have to learn how to work through that because during a 162-game season, it's incredibly rare that you're going to feel 100% during every start. So I agree with you, Rob. As we're seeing with all these tests and all these MRIs and everything they do, it comes back 100% clean and there's no concern whatsoever. I think it might be him being a little too cautious. Any tweak, any soreness, he just wants to report it right away because he's never had to go through things like this before because he's usually always feeling 100%. So it's a little bit of a learning thing with him. But and one thing I will say that's sort of in agreement with Bruce, if, if you're not going to let him go and continue to pitch and go out there and pitch until he can anymore, then sit him down. I don't want the Mets to be trusting DeGrom and saying he knows his body better than anyone. We're going to pitch him, but then also take him out after five innings and 70 pitches. If you're going to let him pitch, let the guy pitch until either he gets knocked out of the game or he goes the 90, 95 pitches, gives you your seven innings. And that's it. I hate that. They're like half stepping here. Well, well they, listen, they, they would have, he would have continued to pitch last night. The opportunity arose where they had to have a, you know, they, they only had a one, nothing lead. They had a man on base. They had to go to the pinch hitter there. It worked out for the Mets. Thank God. Cause they scored three more runs after that. And they got themselves a little bit of a cushion with a 4 nothing lead in that first game. So otherwise, I think they would have pushed it. But look, again, this guy's throwing 100 miles an hour. I mean, he's throwing – he's not just throwing 100 miles an hour like most guys do in the first three innings of a game. He's throwing it in his last three innings of a game. He's throwing it in the fifth, the sixth, the seventh inning of a game you see him. He's up to 98, 99, 100, 101. He's throwing sliders at 98 miles an hour. So, look, I mean, I, I think Ron Darling, Andrew, I think that was the perfect way to put it, to be honest with you. Well, listen, guys, these tests are the best we have. Obviously, they're not foolproof. And what counters the test result is what the, what the player is telling you. Something is hurting me. Something is bothering me to the point where I can no longer perform. That has to supersede any kind of test result. And we have an attrition rate to deal with here. It was the core, and then it was the elbow, and then it was the shoulder. Now, thankfully, you know, we, as we always say, you know, we got to protect these athletes from themselves. Thankfully, DeGrom is smart enough to have said something and not tried to continue on while something was bothering him. But what your concern has to be, as long as he's complaining about something, is that he's going to go out there and compensate for something else and injure something else. Therefore, Given where you are on the calendar, given where you are uh, in the standings, err on the side of caution, shut them down for two starts in 10 days, and then reassess after that. I, I got to disagree with that, and I'm going to tell you something. 
two days after his el- the the flexor tendon with the elbow issue, he's out shagging fly balls in the outfield. Two days after the shoulder issue, he's turning three six three double plays in the infield during during practice. I mean, I- I'm looking at this and I'm saying, wait a second, how could this, this guy's not hurt? He's not hurt. If he's sitting there, he's playing first base, he's turning three six three double plays, and his shoulder's hurting him. There's nothing wrong. Well, I think that's part of the thing with DeGrom is that he probably felt a little soreness. And then when they did the test and there was nothing there, he right, breathed, he breathed a sigh of relief it. and said, okay, it's just normal soreness. I can go through my normal routine. So if he's going to do that, I'm not shutting him down. I'm not guys, shutting him down. Guys, this is Jacob DeGrom. This I is get not it. David Peterson. I get it. Here's but if you're going to be that cautious, Bruce, then he shouldn't be turning three, six, three double plays in, in practice. I'm sorry. He, then put him on the bench and put him in a bubble. He is the difference between championship number three and maybe being one and done. He is the difference between immortality and anything and everything else that doesn't matter. You protect him at all costs. And the circumstances, given where we are and where they are in the standings, allows you to do that. Yeah, I I have to disagree with it because they're seeing nothing on any of these MRIs. You're not even seeing information. And he's MRIs. They see nothing. And again, I'll say it again. If they're going to allow him and Jacob DeGrom is going to go out there and turn three, six, three double plays and take balls at shorts up and make throws across the diamond, go shag fly balls in the outfield. Why the hell am I going to sit him out and miss Robbie, two or three starts? Robbie, that could, that could be the difference between winning division and not winning a division. Robbie, I can't do that. There is no greater competitor in the sport. Never mind what the back of the baseball card says something has forced him out of three separate games in the first two months of the season. Yeah. Mentally. I I think more mentally. I don't care what the x-ray says when the player is telling me something is bothering me. I'm hurting. I have to come out of this game. Right. But the the next day, but the next day, Bruce, if something was still hurting, he would not be on the field turning the 363 right. double plays. I, I don't get it. But, okay, so what happened? It is start preceding his last one. He got hurt. He left. He came back. I feel great. Came back. Started. I'm hurting. That's it. I, I would have done it after the last time. But, especially but he wasn't after hurting. The third time, he wasn't is hurting. I'm, I don't want to see you for. I, I don't want to see you for a couple of weeks. We're gonna get a grasp on whatever this this. Issue is we're going to err on the side of caution to make to make sure that you are one thousand percent foolproof that you don't go out there because something's bothering here and, and, you're, and you compensate and injure something there. I just but, but let's let's be honest though, and I know he's otherworldly, but that start against the Cubs when he left early with the shoulder soreness, he struck out eight of the nine batters he faced. If there was something that was actually There's wrong, nothing wrong. he would not be able to do that. He struck out seven I, I, guys I, in a row. He no, was throwing no. 101 miles an hour before I don't disagree with you. I had guys, because I didn't see it, but I had guys texting me about it afterwards. And my first response was, well, geez, how hurt could the guy be? He just struck out, you know, eight of nine guys. That being said, he still had a walk. Because something was hurting. And again, it's Jacob DeGrom. I am taking zero chances with him uh, in the middle of June when I have a healthy when I have a healthy cushion atop the division Well, stand. look, he, he pitched yesterday. He came out of it fine. There's no issues. You didn't hear anything about it today. So obviously, there's no, there's no hurt involved. There's only, and I think, like what Andrew said, what Ron Darling said on the broadcast, I think was the 
perfect way to summarize it, to be honest with you. So let's let's get out of this discussion. We'll get into the Yankees, Bruce, and what a week they've had. What a week. What a difference. Gary Sanchez all of a sudden is Johnny Bench. <laughs> He's, right? Yeah. They switched J- the blue. They switched Gary the blue Sanchez, days. for the record, Gary Sanchez has hit safely in 15 of his last 17 games. I mean, he's still an idiot on the base pass, but listen, <laughs> he's established himself. Uh, he's established himself at the plate. So the Yankees sweep the Blue Jays and the Yankees, if anybody needed a sweep in that series, it was the Yankees. And then they come out and they beat the first place A's who will play great baseball most of the year, except you know, they got off to a bad start, but they, they beat the A's two out of three. And the Yankees look like all of a sudden now with the Rays losing five in a row after the Glasnow injury, it looks like maybe they got deflated a little bit. They brought up their top prospect and Wanda Franco to see if maybe it's going to give them a little bit of a, a little bit of a, a cattle prod in their ass to raise. And all of a sudden the Yankees have got themselves back within, you know, striking, striking distance of the division. And all of a sudden, they look like the team everybody's expecting them to look like from the beginning of the season. Yeah, they've been the ultimate r- roller coaster ride. I mean, you know, this time last week, they're eight, nine games out in the standings. And you're wondering if we, we, we start kind of playing taps for their 2021 prospects. Yes, yeah, Sanchez with his 1,200 or thereabouts OPS over the last 20 games. Uh, you know, it's, it's amazing what the guy could do when he recognizes that, you know, hits to right field count as much as as the ones you pull. I mean, that that's the major difference that I see with him. When, when he starts utilizing the entire field, he is, uh, you know, he's a dangerous, dangerous guy. I don't want to bore everybody with the mechanics and we've all seen the same thing and read the same things about the lack of leg kick and, and you know, he's, he's simplified everything. So that's made him a potent hitter again. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you gotta like the gumption that, that they're showing with all these late comebacks. You know, again, I'm not one that says, aha, you see, there's the character they've been lacking. I didn't think they've showed any more character last week than any more from them being depicted as uh, lazy entitlists, uh, you know, because of their, their overall uh, lackluster play uh, the first quarter thereabouts of the season. So, uh, again, I just think it's, it's one of those things that eventually when you have a veteran team like this, they're going to more times than not play to the back of the proverbial baseball cards. And then that's what's happening. They're not setting the world to fire offensively, but it, it's not just the number of hits they're getting. It's the situational hits. It's the clutchness. It's, it's things like that, that you haven't seen from this group. And that's really come to the fore with all these late comebacks and this, uh, you know, five, one run that they've had against, you know, two, quality opponents this past week and they have listen they have a three-game series here against the royals and, look, and, and they're currently be, and they're, they're winning one up, nothing the Yankees. one nothing they had luke yeah. voigt back into the lineup solo home run yeah. his first at bat yeah so well, they listen, should they should sweep this series the, 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 Yankee, the, the yankees aren't in a position they haven't played the part where they could be looking past uh, yeah, anybody we all understand what the royals are you know they had the a's and blue jays and they got the red sox this weekend so hey you know all of a sudden this is the series you look past. You got Garrett Cole on the mound, but uh, given the situation they put themselves in, they don't uh, they don't get the benefit of, of the doubt of being able to look past a far inferior opponent, at least on paper. And how yeah. about the way everything lines up right now? If everything goes the way it's supposed to go in order, next Friday, July second, is Degrom versus Cole. What a matchup is that, that is! Oh uh, yeah. So right. that's why that's why Bruce wanted to shut the Grom down for two weeks. 
<laughs> they didn't want the Yankees to have to face Degrom well, at Yankee te- Stadium. Te- technically, when they shut him down, when I told him to and put him on the IL, he would be available for that series. But that's right. <laughs> the subways. Listen, I don't want to hear anybody putting, pitting anybody with Degrom. Those discussions are over. Garrett Cole's wonderful. He's great. The the conjecture, the debate. There is no debate. Okay, this is this is otherworldly, supernatural, greatest of all time stuff we're seeing Degrom right now. You're insulting anybody else you want to pit with him right now, including the other greats in the game. And Garrett Cole is great, but right now it, this is this is a one man show. But that would be something, you know, to open that series, Yankee Stadium. Mets, Yankees, you know, two uh, at least theoretically good teams. We'll see what the Yankees look like by the time they get to that series. And then you have those two against each other. Yes, that, that's that's going to add a little bit more spice to the proceedings. But I'm sure a lot of people in the media masses are going to, you know, want to stir things up. You know, who's New York's finest? Please don't embarrass yourself. You know, it's, it. you know it's funny? From a Yankee fan, don't do it. <laughs> you know what's funny? Just for, just for context. I was looking at the numbers with my father before and, you know, we've heard all the comparisons with the Grom and Pedro's 1999 season. I believe it was and Bob Gibson's season back in the day. We've heard all those comparisons and all those numbers and the kind of start that the Grom is off to. But one of the numbers that really caught my attention today, and obviously this would never happen. It's a different era, but with his strikeout rate and his K per nine innings this year, DeGrom, if he pitched the same amount of innings that Nolan Ryan did, the year that he struck out 383 batters at this strikeout rate, DeGrom would strike out 539 batters yeah. if he pitched the same amount of innings. I mean, right. it, it is, it is incredible. Yeah. I what mean, he's again, been able to yeah, do. you have to be contextually accurate when you get into these discussions. Now, look, we got into this in depth on the show last week with all due respect to Jacob DeGrom, what Pedro did at the time, the height of the steroid era, I mean that 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 kind of yeah that, that gives him a nod even over what you know Jake is doing with this you know half run ERA and the hundred and gazillion strikeouts in you know a hundred innings you know that he's pitched you, you gotta the errors are so distinct it it, it it feels like it was almost a different game back then given what offenses were producing because they were all they were all juiced up. But you know, the, the weird part about it though, is that it, it's like, it's almost impossible to compare errors when it comes to just comparing singular players. But yet when that particular player's name shows up on a hall of fame ballot, you really have no choice, but to compare errors. And that's when it really becomes interesting. You know, like if we're just having a discussion now, who was better Pedro, uh, Bob Gibson or Jacob DeGrom, it's like a silly argument because of all the differences. But when Jacob DeGrom's name comes up on a hall of fame ballot and you start comparing his name next to other hall of famers who are in Cooperstown. It's a discussion that has to be had as silly as it sounds. Uh, Hey, listen, it's a worthy discussion point. Don't, don't get me wrong. But again, while I just, I I propelled DeGrom to such heights right now, I'm almost 30 seconds later. Like, all right, let's, let's slow roll this somewhat. It isn't Pedro circa 99, 2000. It's in the, it's in the class. It's part of the discussion. It's not as impressive. Listen, Pedro, for me, always goes down as the greatest pitcher I've ever seen 
not just for the results. I've never seen any pitcher in my lifetime with an arsenal like Pedro had, where he had three utterly dominant pitches. Never seen it. His fastball change curveball was unlike anything I've ever seen. I know we could talk about Jake and the and the fastball slider, Randy Johnson, the fastball slider. A lot of these guys, you know, have have the two. Pedro had three otherworldly offerings. Now, here's a fun little exercise just to do, and I did this with my dad a while back. If you're building a repertoire of pitches, four pitches, what pitches are you taking? So, for instance, like, you know, taking Pedro's changeup, taking Nolan Ryan's fastball, you know, build a, build me your picture-perfect repertoire of pitches among pitchers that you've seen in your lifetime. Jesus. Randy Johnson slider. Yeah, Randy Johnson slider has to be because that was devastating. You know, and, and whatever listen, pitch he threw when he hit that bird, I want that one. I know. Animal groups, please keep the letters and the and the, and the messages to, to yourself. I get I mean, it. I'm not, we, I'm we not could an say, animal cruelties. We could say that we was, could say that was one of the more remarkable encounters on a baseball field you'll ever see, <laughs> even though it was spring training. We could say Mike Scott splitter. I even know. Even though the ball was scuffed at times, but his splitter, you could probably say just the just the pinpoint location of Greg Maddox. Just the pinpoint location. I mean, the gloves never moved. Wherever the glove was, the yeah. ball was. And there. he was and he was the it, furthest thing from overpowering. He just no, he never he wanted to throw it, spots. he threw it. Yeah. Right. He and listen, he he threw in the nineties, but he just he didn't over overpower anybody. It just he just changed eye angles inside, outside, up, down. It didn't matter. So he'd have to be one of them. And but listen, Nolan Ryan's fastball exploded. <laughs> you know, it just exploded. There's yeah. a reason why the guy had seven no hitters and yeah, and, you know, and, he, and he threw it for 500 strikeouts. <laughs> and he, he threw it for 25 years and it didn't lose any right. steam. Right, never lost any steam. Yeah, so, I think I think I'm taking Rob Jufre's fastball and Bruce Shine's screwball. Heard he's got a wicked one. <laughs> I don't know. When I when I think Roger Frey, I got to go something with knuckle in it. Knuckle <laughs> like knucklehead? Knucklehead. 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 Well, you know, me, brass knuckles. Brass knuckles is a good one. So so now we, 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 we had a uh, 20 year anniversary party for for my friend's uh, boss. And he opened it up right before 9-11. He's actually a fire. He was a fireman himself. He's, re, you know, retired after 9-11. He opened it up with another fireman who, who died, unfortunately, in 9-11. So they were having a 20th anniversary, and they decided to get a dunk tank. So two of my friends that bartend there, also retired firemen, decided they wanted to do the dunk tank thing, and they wanted to be in a tank. So everybody got a shot. They, had, they gave you bean bags. You had to hit the red, the red target. Red target. You know, and everybody just kind of loafing it there. I, and I don't have loaf in my system. And I'm sitting back and I'm crow hopping <laughs> fastballs with beanbags that my shoulder was almost talking about it. an injury, a shoulder injury. Yes. But, I, I think. And everybody actual... said, you got to slow down. I said, I don't have it in my DNA to not throw hard. It's not in my DNA. So that's it. You're lucky you didn't end up like cross cut two and keeled over. Right. after you threw the ball. <laughs> <laughs> 
Could you imagine how many arms get blown out routinely by these stupid machines you see on the boardwalk? Yeah. Down the oh, for sure, for sure. So, how many torn I mean, rotator cuffs you have for forty years? Because morons like me got to show off a little bit. <laughs> people who I don't mean, have nobody's nobody's warming up. You know, ninety percent of these people probably haven't thrown a you know a projectile in an in an era. Ugh. You know what? I'm I'm thinking about this repertoire question and. Again, for me, because I haven't seen the same pictures because I'm younger. Me myself, I, I gotta go with the Grom's fastball. I gotta go with Pedro's changeup. Although a, an honorable mention for changeup has got to be Johan Santana for me. Johan Santana had an unbelievable changeup. Sure. Not Pedro's, and I, but sure. And I'm and I'm taking Kershaw's curveball. Kershaw's 12-6 curveball can buckle the best hitters' knees in the game. And if I'm going with someone outside of my timeline. Burt Blylevin's curveball. Just like watching highlights of him, now, his curveball was nasty. If you're going outside your timeline, you were you were in the right church. You're in a far different pew here, pal. <laughs> San, San, Sandy Koufax is the curveball you want to defer to if you want to go eras gone by. Well, Bruce, how, Bruce, how about Phil Necro and Wilbur Woods' knuckleball? How's that? Well, you know, the knuckleball has been so – you know, few and far between. I don't really. Tim Wakefield. How, how, about, how about uh, how about New York Mets very own R.A. Dickey? R.A. Dickey, yeah. Who won a Cy Young with the Mets. Yeah. Didn't have that long. subsequently but... traded for Noah Syndergaard and Travis Darno. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I, what about, I, what, about what, I, what about as far as competitiveness on the mound? And you hate to try and limit it to one or two guys. My timeline, Max Scherzer, Bulldog. Scherzer, you could say that. My, I, I love Kurt Schilling. I love Kurt Schilling, man. Kurt Schilling to me was just an ultimate competitor. My God, yeah, but Scherzer's yeah. another guy. Yeah, but Smoltz, Schilling Smoltz. always. Smoltz was another Smoltz one. Was another guy in this conversation. No doubt, Smoltz was another guy. Jack, uh, Mar- Jack Morris. Who's the guy? Oh, I, I forget his name. They're in quarantine when there were no live sports on. We were always tuned into MLB Network. They were showing old games. Who was the guy who pitched for the Detroit Tigers back in the 70s or 80s? And he just like, he was fidgety on the mound. He didn't Mark start. Mark Fidrich. The Bidrich. bird. Fidrich. Fidrich, the bird. Yeah. Well, I always found that guy strange. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To the ball. Yeah. I'll, t- I'll take his competitiveness. Yeah. He yeah. looks like a psycho. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a shame what happened to him in his career. It's a shame what happened to him in his life. Yep. He was, he was, he was literally in our studios at MLB Network. A week before that tragic accident, where he, when he was fixing his car on his farm, it took his life. And in as far you know, his career, you know, he was you know he was not a blast from the past. He was, he was an overnight sensation. I mean, he he, he gripped the nation. It wasn't just a Detroit thing, and it, it was it was so spectacular. But it was just physically too much too soon, and he flamed out. Not not even a year later than that magical seventy six year you're referencing. Yeah, so we'll loop you back into the conversation that we started the show with, Bruce. That's with the basketball. And, you know, a lot of people are, are giving the Nets a pass because they were so shorthanded. And while you can't blame any of the guys on the floor, uh, minus Joe Harris. I mean, Joe Harris was absolutely terrible in the series. But you, know, you can't give Harden any grief. In fact, you got to give him credit for going out there battling like a warrior, playing on one leg pretty much. you got to give Kevin Durant credit for taking the whole team, putting him in his backpack, and taking him as far as they could possibly go. Uh, but I can't give the Nets a pass just because they now – it looks like they only have one kick of the can now to go try to win a championship. And I would argue that there's more pressure on them now than they could have ever imagined to get it done next year when the band is back together and hopefully healthy. 
Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you say that, and I was I was believing that too. And then you know, you read the remarks from Sean Marks, the uh, the general manager there, and he says, you know, they're going to go all out to to re up all three who could obviously opt out of their contracts at the end of the upcoming season. I will agree with you. You can't give them a free pass entirely, given what the expectations were. But I mean, I almost look at what happened here, guys, and it's they almost get as much acclaim for valiantly going down in the fashion they did as they would have had they won at all. And that is ridiculous to yeah. say because these championships, you know, are, are just, you know, impossible to come by. And, you know, especially when you look at the landscape, no LeBron, no Steph Curry, probably no Kawhi. I mean, you talk about wide open spaces. It was, it was all right there. And, and then some, but, yeah, I mean, you can't discount the idea that it still took overtime of the seventh game for a very good Bucks team to rid themselves of a team that was, you know, injury ravaged in the star player department. I mean, this is no getting around it. Yeah, and I think an, another point, too, is that not that this should preclude you from trying to build a super team because it's obviously it's the, the direction in which the NBA is headed, but it just goes to show you if those guys can't stay healthy, you have that much money on your books devoted to the star player. It's virtually impossible to fill out your entire roster with capable pieces to get the job done. If one or two of those superstars end up going down and that's ultimately what did the Nets in Kevin Durant scoring 40 plus almost 50 points a night doing everything he can coming off the torn Achilles yeah. everyone was questioning whether or not Durant would be Kevin Durant and he was in every sense of the word he was Kevin Durant but besides him it was the surrounding pieces that couldn't get it done I mean the Nets were for all intents and purposes were relying on a on a washed up Jeff Green to kind of help them help Kevin Durant and carry the Nets to the finish line yeah, you know, but this isn't year four or five into this project. This is this is year two. Uh, so I, again, I'm not in any. I'm not getting panicky over. Oh my God, this didn't work. I mean, look at the other super teams that have, that have been assembled in in recent times. I mean, none of them won in their their initial encounter and their initial seasons together. So I don't think you flip out uh, over the prospect of that. I, I agree with you. They. Clearly, they need to do something to, you know, uh, upgrade the the bench. You know, you, you can't you know, count on Jeff Green and Blake Griffin when he was able to give you, you know, what he gave you. Uh, but that that's even a, a, a bigger question to the to the, the degree that you know, do they have the final financial wherewithal to make those kind of moves because of the money that that the top three guys are making? But you know, for that chance at the brass ring, when you get that rare opportunity to assemble this kind of talent on one team, yeah, you forfeit those assets and and you pay the freight. I, I don't, I don't, I don't even, I don't question that modus operandi in, in any way, shape, or form. And there goes Marcus Stroman. Yep, trainers out on the field taking a look at Marcus Stroman now. Just he looks not. like it's his side. Nah, he's uncomfortable. Either his hip. Or an oblique, he's coming out. He's going to come out. Yeah, it's his hip. Something in his hip. Well, maybe we should trade for Jose Berrios. Yeah, you know what? In fact, <laughs> throw in some more pieces. Get him here. Yeah, no, he's. Uh, you can see Stroman's uncomfortable. I love you guys. Boy, yeah. I'll tell you what. If the guy sneezes on the mound, you've got him out from six to eight weeks. 
Well, it doesn't look good right now, Bruce. I'm sorry. It could be a it could be a cramp for Christ's sakes. You know, I mean, listen, I get it, and, and it's not just you know. I understand as Met fans, you're always waiting for that other shoe to drop. Given the landscape of what we've seen this year and this historic number of injuries, I get the doom saying, but you know, we've we've been here before. Just I, I get the concern, but all of a sudden. You know, the demands for trading for Max Scherzer and Garrett Cole, slow down. Let's let, let's see if this is a week, a week and a half thing, or if it's something you need to be uh, even more greatly concerned about. But, you He's know, just throwing back to warm-up the, pitches. Go ahead, back, back, back to the Nets. Yeah, you know, back to the Nets and, and what happened there. And, you know, I, I mean, they came ever so close, obviously, if, uh, you know, Kevin Durant was a – Shoe size, you know, smaller. They're they're going to the Eastern Conference Finals. They had such a there was such momentum to you know against this group, in more so than what the Celtics did in the day, and what even what LeBron did, you know, with Miami. There seemed to be more uh, dislikable quotient involving this Nets group. I don't know. Maybe it's because for Durant, it was the second time, I guess, right? You know, he went to Golden State when they had won it all and they were a 70-plus some odd win team. They had Steph and Thompson and Green and all those guys, and he does it again in Jersey. It just seems that the detestability, the detestability quotient was that much greater with this, this Nets grouping. And I think they alleviated a lot of that by as far as they were able to take this thing. I think they, they gained more admirers by how things transpired than ultimately had they, they gone out there and, and, and won it all. But, you know, what, what I find interesting is, you know, that it's the Nets. They blew this golden opportunity. No, they didn't. You know who did? Injuries. The Sixers did. Well, the, the Sixers, well, we did. said that early, yeah. I mean, the this, injuries, look, this, the injuries curtailed the Nets yes, any, any sort this, of chances. This was their shot without the, you know, traditional power teams and the power players with them being having clear paths to the title. If you're the Jazz and you're the Sixers, you are violently ill over this for the foreseeable future. For the Nets, sure, it hurts. It's painful. I'm not a Net fan, but you know what? They're easily, easily my favorite to win it all next year. Is health a concern? Yeah. With Kyrie Irving, it's always a concern. With Durant, not so much. And, and with Harden until, you know, this year, injuries, you know, were, were never, were never a, a thing with him. I do think, though, it, it is worth mentioning, by the way, you know, as valiantly as he played with the injury, I think something needs to be said that he was never in peak condition. And he was never in peak condition because he self-inflicted his being with what he orchestrated by getting out of Houston, by showing up there intentionally out of shape. And you you, you got to fairly wonder if one thing had to do with the other and if this is just a, you know, uh, an extenuating circumstance uh, of all that. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, listen – 
he did what he did in Houston to get out. People can look at it the way they want to look at it. Was it selfish? Yeah, sure. But, you know, the, the precedent has been set in the NBA specifically for the star players to do that. But, you know, how much of it also was wear and tear? You got to remember all these star players, the big three that they assembled, they're all on the wrong side of 30 now. And at a certain point, there's going to be normal wear and tear. Not everyone is an otherworldly specimen that it's just going to stay healthy for 82 games a year. I mean, I didn't think about what you just brought up until you just said it. It could have played a role, but you know, part of it is that these guys are hurt too. And listen, you're going to, you're going to sign yourself up for a net season next year where all of those guys collectively maybe play 30 to 35 regular season games. I mean, they're going to want those guys healthy because they know how much just not having one of them is going to curtail their season. But, but they did that anyway this year, Andrew, and it still didn't work because but they, they, they didn't do it just to rest them. They did it right, because but, the guys were hurt, but it's not like Kyrie went down with a hamstring injury. He jumped up, came down and landed on his ankle. That's not something that's, that's a, uh, a wear and tear issue or, like I said, a hamstring strain like Harden have. That's just a freak. That's just a freak accident. But he is. He is. But Kyrie has had a five to six freak accidents throughout his career now. He always seems to have these significant yeah. injuries. That right. cause he, him his time. You can't right. do anything about that, though. You know, right, a hamstring right. or a quad, something like that. Well, I, you, you know. can't take any you can't do anything to you can't take any preventative measures to keep that from happening. But you could still say that the guy is injury prone. I mean, by definition, he is injury prone. He continues to get well, injured year he, after year. He's not going to become un injury prone at this point of his career. Well, you're right. You're yeah. right. And that's why the onus is on the Nets to to rest those guys and just cross their fingers and hope that they stay healthy. I mean, again, I'm not. I'm not saying that this should preclude you from building a super team with guys at this age, but it's just alarming that this happened and that the season was derailed by this in this fashion. And it's just a, it's a damning tale of what's could potentially be ahead. Here's the problem. When you build a super team of this ilk with these three guys, with that sort of money, you have no depth at all to support these injuries. Yes, you have it in the regular season. You might be able to get away with it and the playoffs. You do not. You just don't. And well, it, and if, it, but it if Joe if Joe Harris could shoot the basketball, the Nets oh, win that look, series. Joe Harris is a good player, but he's not. You know, he's not Clay Thompson. You know, so and George Springer yeah, returns. Clay, Clay Thompson is an adept piece. I mean, I, I could question. No, the, I'm saying, but that's what I mean. He's not Clay Thompson. I'm saying that. Well, but all Clay Thompson is a heck of a player. But all these all these shooter teams have the same concern with regards to lack of depth because they don't have money to pay these players. Look, here's a couple of things that that I that I took from from the Nets ouster here as well. First of all, they're going to treat 2021-22 as nothing more than a glorified training camp. Okay, they're never going to play these guys together. They only played eight games together as a triumvirate this year, and it didn't make a damn bit of difference. So they're not going to you know push the envelope as far as that's concerned next year because the lack of chemistry was not an issue, nor was the supposed uh, lack of defense because, you know, hey, let's face it, uh, they they weren't exactly the, uh, you know, late 80s Pistons, early 90s Bulls, but they weren't they weren't a hot knife through butter either. You know, they, they were okay. They, they got the stops when they had to get them. They held Milwaukee, you know, to their low, lowest, you know, point totals uh, of the year. So that is not a, nearly the great concern that I could shoot it to be coming into this postseason either. So uh, I'll give you, think, I'll give you a little bit of a backstory here, Bruce. Okay. So, I mean, as you know, Rob and I do not do extensive prep for the show. Most of our reactions are genuine. They're off the cuff. It's the way we like it. It's what's made this podcast what it is. 
but we do have a quick little discussion. You know, what are we going to start off with this and that when we hop on the zoom call and um, I mentioned trivia and Rob tells me that we're doing something different tonight. Now I have no knowledge of what this is. Obviously neither do you. Is this the, this is the first you're hearing about it. This would be the appropriate time to kind of, switch gears and head over to trivia. Rob says he has something you else. Screwed up my whole opening to this whole goddamn thing, Andrew, for well, Christ's well, sake. Well, what bad is enough, it? It's better enough, Bruce. You believe this kid here. Oh, God, here we go. Here yeah, we well, go. I told you I was going to eviscerate you. Go ahead. And if go you ahead. didn't think it was going to happen. I can take it like a man. It's going to happen. So he goes out to, I guess, his little Jersey Shore party, whatever the hell you went Friday night. You I, was just Friday at, I, just, night? I was just at a friend's house on Friday You're at a friend's house. What, would you have a couple of white claws or something and – you got a little bit of a headache in the morning. It yeah, depends on what your definition of a couple is. It's All right, well, how many how many white claws do you have that has about maybe two and a half percent alcohol in it? Oh, first of all, they actually have more percent than the beers do. They do. Oh, okay. So, so you put down a, a few carbonated white claws. I drank about a case. So, uh, Andrew, whose parents were you able to send out to the liquor store to go buy booze for you? <laughs> we played Hey Mister outside the store, try to get someone <laughs> to buy for us. <laughs> so I'm trying to get him to come to my buddy's anniversary party at the bar. Who He knows everybody there. And I, I was killing him on text, by the way, Brucey. I was saying some not so nice yeah, things. Yeah, I appreciate the invite. Thank you, Rob. <laughs> Jackass. <laughs> I didn't think he'd want to come all the way into Staten Island. I knew I'm you were here. You were here two weeks ago walking the boardwalk. You think you tell me you were down there when he came met you? I'm five minutes from the boardwalk. I'll show you a dunk tank. <laughs> With you, it'd be a drunk tank. So anyway, we're doing trivia, but now we're doing Andrew versus Bruce. We're doing the young. Oh. oh. Versus the... Uh, the middle-aged buck. Right, let me get, and I'll let call me get, you middle-aged because I'm not like my, you guys. Let me get my hearing aid in. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> All right, so let's let's keep this on the record here. We have a 2-2 record between Rob and Bruce. That's out the window right now. That'll now be now put on you, hold. That'll be put on hold. Brucey. I was stellar. You and Brucey. Stellar. You and Bruce. You were stellar. You liked the beer. Like, it was stellar. I don't okay. know. I don't know if you were stellar. I think it was more the fact that because we were on episode 64, Rob had – John Mendenhall in the back of his brain, and it just completely derailed him from answering questions. Well, I also asked you when the sack started. You told me 1976. No, no, no. I didn't tell you it started then. I said that's the first year that any of these players. It's my fault. I lost. Bruce won. I don't make any excuses. None. That's big of you. No excuses. I'm not an excuse guy. You don't well, have anyway, a, you don't make excuses. Is, you don't you don't look, loaf. You give hundred percent effort. I want Brucey. I want Brucey in the right frame of mind right now. He doesn't and make I wanted excuses. to kind. He just, I he wanted just to kind of work him, process altogether. I wanted to work him into this trivia question because last week he complained that we kind of segued out of one subject and into the trivia, and now you kind of ruined that, Andrew, because you had to get involved. Okay, I had to get involved on on my podcast. I had to get involved. The host of the, the nerve, podcast. The nerve on this guy. Well, listen, listen, listen. I, I I don't like to do that. I don't want to be little Rob and make him feel like less of what he is. We are co-hosts. Oh, you guys however, do that every week to me. What however, the hell is the I don't belittle you. I just tell you that you're old and washed up. But I don't I don't belittle your role on this podcast. I think you play an integral and part. And I'm I'm like Heather Locklear on Melrose Place. I am perpetually the special guest star. Wow. He threw the head of Locklear. I love Melrose Place. I love that. Sorry, Andrew, again. And you wonder wonder why I call you guys old. Uh, Michael was my favorite. (laughs) I have no idea what's going on. Kimberly, when she blew up the building, what was better than that? Come on. You missed some. Jennifer Aniston last week. I was surprised you'd heard of the name, Andrew. (laughs) 
So this well, is good. actually actually I'm sorry I don't I don't mean to derail once again but I did get a number of texts this week ripping me for not knowing who Kaylee Kuko was. Oh, yeah, you should that's know that's criminal. that's your yeah. generation. Ryan Ryan Briscoe texted me with some not nice things to say because I didn't know who that was. I mean uh, Jesus, how could you not know that? Yeah. So this is baseball related. It's baseball related trivia, and it's a simple subject. It's not difficult at all. Not making it difficult on you guys, but you know it's something you got to have to think about because basically what it is is this. From 2010 to 2019, I want the top 10 home run hitters in that span of time. What, the top 10 or? From, 2000, from 2010 to 2019, top 10 home run hitters in any order. You guys go one-on-one. If we got to go past 10, if you guys happen to get them, we'll go to 11, 12 until, until we reach top 20. And if you get that, then I'll jump off this podcast forever. Okay, Bruce, this is pressure. We got to get all 20 here. <laughs> I, 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 can't, I can't believe I'm struggling already. All I right. mean, you offer an incentive like that, you'll never be on the podcast again. I mean, I might as well pull out Google and cheat. 20 top, top all 10. Right. And you know what? We'll let the young buck go. First. Right. I'll let the young buck because you say you're struggling already. So I'll give you a couple of more minutes if you got to take whatever, I don't know, whatever pill you take at your age. <laughs> All right, top 10 home run hitters from 2010 to 2019. 2019. Okay, uh, my first answer, I'm going to go with Miguel Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera is in the top 10. What number is he? He is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. 8, wow, okay. Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols is 4. Albert Pujols is 4. And that's not the slam dunk you'd otherwise think it was, given that he signed in Anaheim in 2012, and we know what a disaster is. Yeah, 2010 to 2019. This is a little tough. Uh, I'm going to go with... How about Freddie Freeman? Can I make a guess? Since Freddie Freeman is in the top 20, but not in the top 10. How about David Ortiz? David Ortiz. Nada. Wow. Nope. All right. David well, Ortiz. All right, yeah. how, about, how, about, how about we keep this, going, keep this going since we both answered on our second answers incorrectly? That Bruce wins for the week. Oh, but just, oh, for no. me- just for good measure, let's continue okay. this. Bruce wins for the week. I'll give you the win. Bruce is one and zero against me. I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed. I'm going to sleep Keep alone going. tonight. I mean, God's sake, there's one name on here that is. I mean, come on. Oh, Actually, two. Actually, three. 2019. Um, how about Robinson Cano? Robinson Cano is not. He's in the top twenty. Cano is number uh, Man, 20, 19, 18, 17, 16, 15, 14, 13, 12, 11. Wait, hold on. Was he 10? No, he's tied for 11, Cano. Oh. Giancarlo Stanton. Oh, good one. Uh, Stanton is on there, yes. He is actually third. How about... I mean, come on. There's one guy that's, I mean, just... Yeah, this is this is throwing me off here. Um, twenty ten to twenty nineteen. Um, uh, Mike Trout. Oh, thank you. Trout is five. Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper is not even in the top twenty. Wow, really? 
What about Adrian Beltre? Adrian Beltre is in the top 20. He is, what the hell is he? Is he in the top 20 Beltre? Hold on. Yes, he was. He was 2019, 18, 17. He's 16. Wow, this is unbelievable that I'm blanking so hard on this, Bruce. Both of us blanking hard yeah, on this. I'm not- now you know why I hate trivia. No, I love this. This is this is invigorating. Wow. And silence is so good when you're doing radio. Josh you, Hamilton isn't you, possibly on this, is he? No, no. You didn't get the top two guys yet, one and two. Who are they? Oh, oh, come on. How can I forget this guy? Uh, Nelson Cruz has got to be on there. He's number one. Yeah, Nelson Cruz. Number two, you, you could almost, up until his last couple of years, almost liken him to a, a Nelson Cruz. Oh, I think Jose Bautista. He's up there. Bautista is uh, six, but that's not the guy I was thinking about. But he Josh is Donaldson? Josh Donaldson is not up there, no. Oh, 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 oh. Nelson Cruz-esque. Edwin Encarnacion. Boom. He's two. He's two. Good job, Andrew. You got more than me, but you had already lost, so I'm taking that as a win. (laughs) You can take it as a win. Who are we missing on that list? You're missing in the top ten. You're missing Jay Bruce. Wow, Jay Brew. Okay, I would have never guessed him. Chris yeah. Davis. You know what? Chris Davis. Wait, which one? K Chris or Davis C? With the C. Okay. Chris Davis. I was thinking about him, and he just he fell off miserably. I just didn't know if he would have had I'm, enough. I'm stunned that he's still on there. When yeah. was his last season worth anything? I know. And it's been number, five years since he's done anything. Number 10 was Justin Upton. Wow, I would have never guessed him either. either. Yeah. Number 11 is Adam Jones. Jeez, Adam Jones. 12 is Goldschmidt. Goldschmidt was a guy that crossed my mind, but I didn't didn't think he had 13 is Grandison. 14, Braun. 15 is Cano. Evan Longoria is actually 16. Carlos Santana is 17. J.D. Martinez is 18. Joey Votto is 19. Arenado is up there. Yeah. You mean Kyle uh, Higashioka is not on this list anymore? No, he just he just missed. Okay. <laughs> what about they Mike Ford? No. <laughs> oh, by the way, speaking of baseball, Bruce, does it give you any trepidation knowing that the Tampa Bay Rays traded for Mike Ford that he is going to now blossom into a Triple Crown player? I don't, I, I don't trade anything with Tampa. That, that is the, that is the that is the smartest organization in baseball. Okay, well, when you trade I, with Tampa Bay, who wins the especially trade? Especially pitchers, but yeah, Ford will you know. Ford will now be a you know a viable triple crown candidate. Yeah, unbelievable. No, no doubt. When, who, when, who is my who is my second when, when guest Neander, that wasn't on there? When Eric Neander calls, just hang up the phone. Yeah. If you're yeah. stupid enough to pick it up. At least when you pick it up, put it right back down in the cradle. The Rob, who is my second guest that that knocked me out, lost the game for me? I said Miguel Cabrera won. Who did I say second? Uh, I think he said he was like 16 or something. Longoria. No, he said, did you say Beltre? Beltre was like my third or fourth guess. Oh, I said Freddie Freeman. I said Freddie Freeman. Oh, Freeman, right. Freeman. You got to remember 2010, you're thinking too. So 
Yeah, you but know. you know what, Freeman. I just thought Freeman is a consistently a, a thirty home run guy. He's been in the league for seven years. You know, I, I figured he might be on there. But I hey. mean, you're talking about guys like Cruz and Encarnacion who filled out all nine years of that decade. Andrew, Andrew, no excuses. Play like a champion. You are an MLB Network employee. You walk those corridors every year. You should be wiping the floor with somebody my ilk when it comes to this. Stop it. Stop it now. You know, it's not way becoming. Me. Way to humble me. <laughs> you're, 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 you're reaching Rob depths. I, I love this. That. I appreciate I love this. that. I'm so <laughs> glad I thought of doing this tonight. You uh, did. That was tremendous. That was tremendous. But, I mean, while we're on the topic, you're not getting off scot-free without having to do some thinking of your own tonight. I already had this all mapped out. It's a simple category. There are a lot of names that are part of this category, but it's a simple category. This should be rapid fire. I'll be ashamed if you guys don't at least give me 10. Not each. Ten names in total. Five names each. I'll be ashamed if you don't. So, Bruce, while you want to degrade me and talk down upon me, you have another round here that you have to get through before any of those insults are warranted. You would understand? You mind, would, you, would you mind if we went back to just simply degrading you? And- <laughs> yeah, it's a lot more fun. If, if you do well, you could, you could say whatever you want about me. And this one is also baseball-related. Oh, God. And it follows a theme of, you know, categories that I've been picking over the past couple of weeks. Like I said, there's a lot of names in here, but let's have at it. Rapid fire. 3,000 hit club. Name me guys who are in a 3,000 hit club. I have them all written down here. I believe there's 31 of them. All right. What, what oh, are we Jesus going? Are, you want me to start? Uh, yeah, Bruce, go ahead. You start Pete first. Rose. Wow. Rod, how'd, you th- Rod, how'd you think of Pete Rose? Rod Carew. Ty Cobb. Well, wait, hold on. You got to you got to slow down a little bit because I'm actually crossing guys off the list. So I got I got to I have to write down these names too. I mean, Robbie, because... Robbie, you're going too fast for the kids. Slow it down, would you, pal? Well, I'm saying I got to write down the names for myself so I don't miss. I don't repeat something. Now you just said wait. You said Pete Rose. I said Carew. You he, came then, back he said, and said, then he said Ty Cobb. Ty Cobb. George Brett. Roberto Clemente. Derek Jeter. Eddie Murray. Eddie Murray. Good one. Uh, Albert Pujols. Am I wrong on that? No, you're not. Right? Yeah, he, he got the 3,000. He is on the list, yeah. Cal Ripken. Uh, Ripken, yep. Robin Yount. Robin Yount is on the list. Dave Winfield. Dave Winfield is on the list. Paul Molitor. Paul Molitor is on the list. Yes. Pool holes. I said it. Oh, Bruce. Oh, I'm not writing this stuff down. All right. Uh, Bruce. <laughs> Bruce. You know the oh, rules. No, that doesn't, that doesn't count. Uh, I'm I... back. I'm back. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. I'm back. No repeats. It. Bruce, no repeats. if you remember correctly, your first ever trivia win was if because you repeat, Bob you your first ever trivia win was because I repeated something uh, you said. My next one was going to be Edgar Martinez. He's up there, right? Edgar Martinez. No. Edgar Martinez. Oh, you lucked out because Edgar Martinez. Is he wasn't. The list. No. no shit. Wow. Uh, how, yes, many, the, how many the, hits? The how first episode we did a 500 home run club, and Rob, Rob repeated Hank Aaron that you already said. Edgar, yep. Mar- Edgar Martinez had 2,998 doubles against the Yankees. Never got a hit against anybody else. <laughs> 
the guys that you are missing on this list that I'm sure a couple guys that you would have named, this could have went on for a little bit without the repeat. Uh, well, actually, no, because he would have said Edgar Martinez. It would have been over. But uh, Hank Aaron was not said. Uh, Stan Willie Usual. May. Willie May. Yeah, I mean, come on. Tris Speaker. Yeah, we went on and on. I mean, I would have named all those guys. Are you trying to tell me Kyle Higashioka is not on this list either? (laughs) He's not. I picked the only two categories that Higashioka is not a part of, just to throw you for a curveball. Wow. There's a couple guys on this list that I've actually never heard of. Napoleon Lazarus. Well, that's because because they were born before 1998. (laughs) Yeah, Napoleon Lazarus. Never heard of him. Yeah, I know one knows how to pronounce his name. The second I, baseman, I looked I looked it up on YouTube, a pronunciation, just so I wouldn't sound like a fool on my own podcast, because I put in work. Indian second baseman, right? Uh, now you're asking too many questions, Bruce. Oh, I, I, just, I, 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 I got the pronunciation. That's, that's, that's enough. I don't know who he played for, what position he played. I just know he had 3,000 hits. And another guy, actually, I, I don't think I've heard of, Cap Anson. Never heard of him. Did Bernie Mac ever get that yeah. uh, three thousandth from the uh, from the movie? <laughs> Bernie Mac, <laughs> the late great Bernie Mac, late great the movie, Mister Mister Three Thousand. <laughs> I, I would hope he got it. The movie was named for for crying out loud. <laughs> that, that's that's uh, that's some uh, cinematic excellence that I missed out on somehow. I don't know. You think of three thousand hits to me at least. Tony Gwynn. If it's Pete Rose is the first name that comes to mind because he's obviously first. After that, Tony Gwynn is the first guy that comes to my mind. Yeah. There's a lot, I, well, listen, I didn't know I get I don't I didn't know I got automatically disqualified because I repeated a name. All you gotta do is say, no, it's already been said, go with somebody else. Uh you know what, Bruce, thank you for that because you just confirmed that you just don't listen or pay attention to either uh, of us when I'm we do the podcast. Up and I'm a moron. We know <laughs> that anyway, but that's just, and I'm no good at trivia. But besides that, I have many redeeming qualities. So uh, Rob has a nice little three-two lead. You know, Rob, I enjoy that you actually took it upon yourself to put a category like that together because I had thoroughly enjoyed trivia. So if you want to make that Let's a recurring listen. thing, I'm I only did it. it because I thought it would get me out of how to do trivia tonight. But somehow <laughs> I got sucked back into it again. I figured, all right, let me just, you know, I'll, I'll spin the wheels the other way. Uh, you know what? This is what we should. This is what we should do then. Maybe we should alternate week by week. Well, week one, guys, it'll be me asking yeah. you two the questions, and next week it's Rob asking us two questions, and then week three, if Bruce still is invited back because we don't know this friendship may be waning, and Bruce comes back and asks both of us questions, yeah, we yeah. can alternate. We could keep it, keep it, throw some spice into it. Much like life imitating art, I'm a loser every week. <laughs> Tremendous. Um, Rob, do you do you have a story tonight? Besides me being a pansy and not coming to the bar on Saturday. Unbelievable. That was embarrassing. <laughs> it was embarrassing. He's got a curfew, Rob. Cut the kids some slack. Embarrassing. I did get thrown out of a baseball game when I was 13. My father was running a tournament. Gil Hodges Little League. Out here on Staten Island when I lived in Brooklyn. Gil Hodges Field was in Brooklyn, too. Got thrown out of a tournament. I told an umpire to go fuck himself. I think yeah. <laughs> at thirteen, really, as a, as a, my father running the entire tournament in charge of everything, and I get thrown out because I tell an umpire to go fuck himself. Because <laughs> you know who the umpire was? It was Angel Hernandez's father. <laughs> That's how fucking bad this guy was. I, I I wonder why anybody would take offense to that from a thirteen-year-old. I know. <laughs> Talk about your short fuses. Jeez. I mean, I've got a, I've got ejected from a baseball game, but I didn't say anything nearly as bad. Oh yeah, listen, I was getting my I was getting it in. I didn't. You, you want to hear how I got ejected? Harmless, really. 
I'm playing third base. Kid on my team who's pitching just can't throw strikes. He's all over the place. And um, or no, I'm sorry. This is what happened. He came back out after the inning, and it was like misting. So the mound is all muddy. That's what it was. So he's constantly playing with the mound. He's playing with the dirt. He's like, I can't step right. I keep falling into a ditch. I can't get a good grip. And I said to him, don't worry about it. This umpire strike zone so big. Throw it anyway. He's going to call it a strike. And I got tossed out of the game. And I said, really? For that? And the worst part about it was that it was uh, my grandfather came all the way to come see me play. And he pulled up in the parking lot. He came over to the dugout. He's like, why are you on the bench? And I had to break the news to him that I was ejected. And uh, that didn't fly too well with him, but it <laughs> <laughs> was only eight days ago, Andrew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're making the, finally making the move from the uh, the forty six sixty field to the sixty ninety field. <laughs> so, you know what? Uh, it was really depressing reading your pre show email there, Bruce. That yeah, we're, no, we're well, in I'm a dead glad, spell I'm, with I'm, NFL I'm, right now. I'm glad. I'm glad I get inspire and enlighten. Thanks, pal. Well, look, we got three weeks, uh, another, what, maybe about three weeks before training camps open? Um, fellas, come on. Let's call a spade a spade here. The NBA, NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball, all this is glorified filler until the return of our national passion, and that's football. And I'm, you know, I'm turning around the dial this week. I'm looking to get a football fix. And the NFL Network, their morning show is on hiatus. So I turn on pro, the pro football uh, talk show on uh, on NBC Sports, the Mike Florio, Chris Sims deal. And, yeah, they're on the air. And they said, oh, by the way, we're signing off in a couple of days. We'll see you after the Olympics. We'll see you at training camp. It's almost as depressing as, as the day after the Super Bowl. It's, you know, again, it's only about a month and change, but it's just like it is radio silence. It is complete darkness as far as anything and, and anything NFL is concerned. And that's depressing. It just is the, the NFL, you know, rules right now. I love these other sports, but to me, it's just, it's like we're biding our time till, you know, it, 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 the, the juices really start flowing before that electricity returns with the, you know, with the comeback of football. And it's just, yeah. it's, it's so ways away right now. And I'm rooting for a team that really my expectations are probably as low as they've ever been in my lifetime. I mean, uh, since I started a becoming a diehard fan, fan. but I'm still, uh, but I'm, but I'm agreeing with you though. It's like, I'm still like, I'm, I'm itching for it after the season. It ended in such a disgusting fashion. I want to know part of it. I was glad to welcome in baseball season, a normal 162 game baseball season, not really looking forward to it. And the draft came and I started picking up some excitement and now I'm, I'm geared in, I'm ready. Hey, and it's just, you know there's what? nothing You're- there. You're a Steelers fan. You got no kick coming. They want to have a down year or two. They're entitled. They, they, they've set such a standard there. The bar has been raised to such a point where they can withstand, a, you know, a, a couple of down years. It's all right. They can. The Giants I have can. that, you know, working for them as well. It just can't go a decade plus like it's been right now. The only Giant news I've got in the last week is I heard a bunch of people blaming uh, Daniel Jones for the Nets out during the playoffs against Bucks. Because everything is Daniel Jones' fault. <laughs> oh, everything. everything. Everything is Daniel Jones' fault. So Kevin I'm, Durant was wearing Daniel Jones' shoes on that game-tying shot at the end of regulation in game seven. It was Daniel Jones' shoes. Why? It's, 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 a, it's a bad attempt at humor. It's just my, my way. <laughs> yeah, of, that, that one. I mean, that one hit like the Hindenburg. <laughs> anything that goes wrong with any New York – Sports situation is Daniel. I mean, you were better off telling a Titanic joke, for Christ's sake. 
Daniel Joe, Kevin Durant, right? He had a size 18 shoe on. If yeah, no, I, I, shoe Bruce, on, don't try and explain it. Why don't we just get away from it? Uh, the, the, the quicker you get away from it, the, it's been a bad night for you overall. You lost another <laughs> trivial battle to me. I, I mean, uh, this I joke You know is, what? I, I don't, I'm, I, I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling any shame in losing tonight's trivia in the fashion that I did. That's a weak way to disqualify somebody. For repeating I got disqualified week one. You think I liked it? I said, Hank Garen, everybody was Yahoo about that. Albert Pujols wasn't a wrong guess. It was just one that was uttered earlier well, that I was here. Same thing you as Hank Garen in week one. Like although, 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 Rob, we have to say, don't play the victim here and act like you were annoyed that you got disqualified. In fact, I think that you purposely repeated the answer so that the segment would be over. So do not pull out the victim card here because no still, one feels bad for you. I still lost. I was still considered a loss. You did. I didn't realize that even happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Again, goes back to Bruce not paying attention to us. You know, we, hang on every word. We <laughs> we extend this invitation, and what we say goes in one ear and out the other. Uh, yeah. That's not true. I hear. I hear and listen to every. What'd you say? The belt. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers does the uh, the belt. The discount double check. The discount double check. That's there what you I'm go. doing. Yeah, but you know what? Just getting back to what we were talking about before. You know, typically. February is the sports abyss. There is no worse month for sports than the month of February. I, I mean, I get it. I know we got two two you know teams that are making things happen baseball wise in this city. You got the Islanders and the uh, and the conference you know semis. You know the, the local basketball teams have you know made inspiring runs. It's just without football, it 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 is just is the great miss it's just yeah. the void well the the issue i think the well, main listen. issue is is that it, it when it comes to hockey i love the hockey playoffs because i'm a hockey fan if you're not a hockey fan you're not going to be tuned in right. same thing goes for the basketball because the main attractions the box office players the lebrons the kevin durants the james hardens the kyrie irvings they are all out of the postseason right now uh the Kawhi leonard's hurt chris paul COVID protocols. So Luka Doncic, you know, eliminated. So where is that main box office attraction when it comes to basketball that's like drawing the normal fan? You've got Atlanta, Milwaukee, and you've got Phoenix at a team you had no idea even played in Los Angeles. It's going to be a a tough road to hoe, uh, you know, for for these playoffs the rest of the way. I mean, let's – we were pretty much in that situation – once once the Lakers bowed out, you know, that was all of a sudden it's like, OK, you know, where to now? Uh, you know, the traditional powers are out. There's no Lakers, there's no Celtics. Right. There's no, uh, you know, even name franchises like the Bulls and Knicks. They're, they're nowhere to be found. So, you know, where do you you know, where do you turn to now? Is it refreshing? Is it something different? Yeah. If you're a diehard. But as far as your casual observer of the sport, this is not exactly you know, sports nirvana. So here's, no. here's what we're going to do. Bruce, put your, put your hearing aids in here. This is a, the point where you're supposed to listen. I need a proctologist to get the head out of my derriere. I don't need a hearing aid. Go ahead. <laughs> I, the onus is on you now for next week to come up with a nice little category for me and Rob to go toe to toe. Because we've disagreed about whether or not this trivia segment should even be instituted. 
We've talked about the rules of this podcast. It's been, it's been a big thing. We rip on each other on a weekly basis. There's no better entertainment value than having the both of us square off. So it's up so to you ask, to come up with a category. If I ask something along the lines of uh, who's hotter, prime Kay- Kaylee Kuko versus Jennifer Aniston, you're going to disqualify yourself because you hadn't heard of one of these people? Uh, yes. So let's let's try to steer clear of doing that. All right. No Star, no Star Wars and no We Lose questions either. No, we're doing sports. I we're don't doing we're anything. doing sports, and we keep it along the same the Listen, same uh, axis. You just heard you know, the category, you know, ever on this answers. podcast with that Daniel Jones Kevin Durant thing. I don't know what you're capable of anymore. Listen, just because you were lost on it, doesn't make your everyday average human being. They got it. It okay. wasn't funny. It wasn't. There was nothing redeeming about it. But they understood it. <laughs> See, I'm gonna have to disagree. Yeah, you know, I don't know. You know what we're gonna do? This is be the telling factor. When we post the podcast link tomorrow, when it's published, and I put it on Twitter, we might have to run this up the Twitter poll and ask it. Give everyone the timestamp of when Bruce told that horrendous joke, and just let's see if everyone understood where he was going. Not whether that was something. funny. If they understood, let's, leave, what he let's was leave it at. Let's leave it at a, not a horrendous joke, at an attempt of humor. He would have. He would have totally eviscerated me for it. But Chris Russo would have understood. It. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. About I don't that. even know about that. <laughs> I, don't I think. Know. I think. I don't know. I he think, would have even had enough time to finish the whole joke if Chris I, Russo was dead. I think. I think Russo would have been. What are you, what are you talking about, Brucey? I don't even <laughs> talk about Brucey. Brucey, what the hell are you talking about? Kevin Durant, Daniel Jones, and Sneakers. What the hell are you talking about, Brucey? You were right there, Brucey. See, I don't know. Was that Chris Russo or was that one of the Three Stooges? Uh, that, that, that was my was, attempt. That, that was a, that was a worse attempt at Chris Russo than my attempted humor with the Kevin Durant and Jones joke. But that was. Well, I hopefully will make a good attempt at closing out this podcast. Um, it's been a good ride. Tonight was a lot of fun. Covered a bunch of stuff. Did two levels of trivia. Got to hear bad humor, bad impersonations. I mean, we we, we went through everything. We went through the gamut tonight. Um, so we'll be back again next weekend. Like I said, Bruce, you're in charge of coming up with the category. Big pressure. You got a full week to sleep on it to come up with something worthy. And um, I guess your invitations to come on this podcast will be hanging by a thread, depending on whether you come and you bring it next week. Oh, I bring it every week. Oh, you do. You do. And it looks like Anthony Tacoma was reporting that even before the Stroman injury, that the Mets were planning on bringing up Tyler McGill, who's pitching lights out right now. Yeah, big six foot seven kid. Throws yeah. hard. Yeah. So you'll probably be seeing him because they, they were actually going to bring him up even before the Stroman injury, but now you can probably see him coming up for sure. Well, they got like a thousand double headers coming up still, too, don't they? It's, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, they got a bunch. They of got them. 33 games in 31 days. You know what's crazy? You know what, well, you no, know what this played, reminds they, me of here? They, they played two, right? They played two. Yeah. They played one last night, played one on Saturday. They, they got, got another, another one, one on Friday with the Phillies. With the Phillies. Yeah. And I think, the they have, I think they have two more doubleheaders directly after the All-Star break, and they have another doubleheader scheduled for the end of August or early September against the Nationals again. Because remember, that whole opening series got postponed. They made up one of those games yeah. with a doubleheader, but they still got two more. Or they got an off day. They got one more doubleheader with the Nationals, and then they're playing on an off day well, where they would otherwise be well, traveling. The Mets, the, Mets just, the Mets just played two doubleheaders in three days, and the Braves just played as – Two double headers in as many days. I mean, it's it's crazy. Yeah. And even and even the Braves, they played a double header against St. Louis on Sunday, and then the second game was Sunday night baseball. Then they had to travel over here to the East Coast, take on yeah. the Mets for Come a five ten start. 
Come hell or high water, they're going to get these games played, boys. Yeah, uh, it's crazy. You know what I was going to say, Rob? This reminds me a lot of Cashman a couple years ago with the Yankees. Remember when everyone was clamoring over Chance Adams coming up because the Yankees needed a starting pitcher and they wouldn't bring him up? And part of me – and the same thing with Justice Sheffield. And we later found out that Justice Sheffield would be used as a trade chip to go and get James Paxton from the Seattle Mariners. And you got a guy sitting in the top ten list of prospects in the Mets system and Thomas Sapucky who's been pitching in the minor leagues and they will not bring him up. And part of me thinks that his value is just being saved as a trade ship. Where is he? And it's three. He's in triple a. He's in triple a. God damn it. Yeah. 25 years old, left-hander or 24 years old, left-hander triple a. Now, obviously a lot of the, the clock on a lot of these guys has been prolonged a little bit with the elimination of a minor league season last year, but. Right. And when you have as many injuries as the Mets have right now with their rotation, we're not just promoting guys on merit. It's desperate times call for desperate measure. You need and, somebody and, there's, and they're still not calling them up. They're actually calling up a guy like McGill, who he's been lights out, but he was more of a reclamation project. I mean, he was never really a highly touted prospect coming through the system. He's just kind of excelled through the ranks, and and that's how he's gotten to where he's been. And the NCD just serves up a three-run homer, so the Mets are now in a three-nothing hole. Yep. So it, uh, this – this Stroman injury was the worst possible thing. So Given no rash of pitching so, injuries they've had over the past couple of days. Oof, so McGill goes in for Lucchese, right? He takes Lucchese's spot in the rotation, I, I'm assuming. Well, uh, well he, Jack, he, Jared Eikhoff came up and pitched last night. He presumably yeah. would take that oh, spot that was, in the rotation. That was Lucchese's spot last night? They yes, also, they the, also kid, the kid McGill would probably be coming up because they also lost Jerry's Familia and Robert Casillman in the bullpen, yeah. too. To but they also picked up Nick Tropiano, too. I mean, look, he's a McGill's body. A, McGill's a starter. Yes. Yes. And he's, and the is reporting that he's going to get a start. Uh, well, they said that the Mets were planning on bringing him up even prior to the Stroman injury. So, yes, he would have been getting a start. Okay. Or he maybe they were bringing him up as an extra arm or as a swing man. And now with the injury to Stroman, he's penciled in to get a start. In Not the from what the way that Decoma was reporting it. Look, oh, yeah. I think I like I think he's shot, but what is uh, what is Batances' status? Batances is actually coming back. He'll probably yeah. take Familia's spot. He was on the sixty day. He did a rehab assignment. He had three appearances in AAA. Two two of them were scoreless innings. The other one, he pitched a third of an inning and gave up four runs. You know what, guys? Batances is the poster child for what I've been talking about with one of the keys, if not the keyest component of these upcoming CBAs, getting these young players paid long before they're eligible for free agency because Patances just blew himself and burnt himself out with those five brilliant years, whatever it was, four or five exceptional seasons with the Yankees that that, that arm just didn't have anything left. He was, the, he was he hands down the best reliever in baseball. Money, he had nothing left. He was hands down the best reliever in baseball those years with the Yankees. Like non-closer reliever in baseball, easily number one. Yeah. You could even he make the case that he was better than 99% of the closers. And he was a multiple inning reliever. And you know what? He he, just, he didn't come up till he was, well, he, he came up for a cup of coffee, but he didn't really get going till he was, what, maybe 24, 25. All of a sudden, he's 30 years old. He's got some injuries. He's out there on the vine, gets one decent contract, but never made the big, big money because there was nothing left in the tank. Yeah. And that's what I'm talking about. That's why we got to start paying these guys in their early to mid-20s instead of the late 20s, early 30s. That's, you know, 
going back to my question earlier in the podcast about uh, I know he's not a starter, obviously, but the pitch repertoire thing, but Tansis slider. 2012, 2013. I mean, ooh. yeah, you know, it's, it's, and I, I was, I wanted to bring this up when we were talking about Randy Johnson and his slider. You know, part of the deal with guys like that is they're so big that by the time they release the ball, it's, it, it, they're right on top of you. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're pitching from 54 feet rather than 60 feet like everybody you know, else. Like it, it, it's funny. We look at, you know, we, we gauge these radar readings, right? And we're like, wow, look how hard this guy's throwing. Well, is that is that how hard he's throwing when the ball leaves his hand or when it gets to the catcher's mitt? You know, yeah. it's 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 different almost everywhere you look. You know what I'm saying? Talk about a guy who hasn't lost anything, man. In fact, gained something. Charlie Moore Charlie is throwing Moore? 97 right now. I mean, yeah. This is crazy. He's been terrible. Well, the Braves are where they are because he's been terrible. Max Freed. I mean, he's been terrible, but I'm just talking about pure velocity. I mean, how old is Morton? 38 years old? Still throwing 98. Yeah, he's 38. I don't remember him ever throwing this hard in general. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was doing that with Houston and yeah. Tampa. Okay. He's got that killer curve. He's got the killer curve. So that's, that's the first thing that comes to mind. I probably just never considered him a hard thrower because I'm always seeing him with guys with curveballs, but. He's still throwing 97, and then he just whipped a killer curveball in there to Guillaume just now. Jeez. Well, he'll ride, he'll ride himself tonight. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Like uh, like Patrick Corbin did the other day. Face yeah, the Mets if you want to get back on the right track. It's yeah. the way to go. They're, they're not hitting. You know, that's it. Right that, divi- that, that, that division's a mess. I don't, the Mets don't have anybody to concern themselves with. Uh, if they don't. have someone to pitch to start the games besides Jacob DeGrom, that would be nice, but – well, they got Walker. I mean, I know Stroman went down tonight, but I don't know who knows if that's a long-term thing. But, I mean – Yeah, the they, update we got is that it was left hip soreness. They got three exceptional, you know, pitchers going for them right now. Nobody else has that. Aaron Nola has been horrible. Yeah. Horrible. Another guy that I just – watching him face the Mets for so long, just never thought that Nola was that great. Hey, he faced the Mets and he was lights out because why he wouldn't he be? Not but, everybody. His numbers have been exceptional. But you know what? When the net, when the Phillies needed a life raft at the end of the last year, he threw him an anchor. He was terrible, and he's taken that into this season. He's been brutal. Yeah, With the exception of that, you know, effort against the Yankees a week or so ago. Yeah, terrible. I mean, you can argue. I mean, Wheeler's been phenomenal, but uh, Wheeler's been great. Early on in the season, for the better part of the whole season, Zach Eflin has been keeping them afloat. He's You're been a Mets tr- fan. Who are you legitimately concerned about in the NL East? The, Bra- the Braves are the only team. The Braves that me. That's it. And they have no pitching. Their bullpen has been laughable, and their starters have been almost as bad. But they have potential there. It's, and they know, have between, the pedigree. They've done it. They've done it the past the couple pe- of the years. The pedigree. They have the lineup between Ian Anderson and Charlie Morton. Those are the guys that could potentially right the ship at any point. You know, so who knows? We'll see. We'll All right. See. So we'll, we will uh, wrap it up for Episode 65. Um, thanks, everybody, for continuing to tune in, continuing to support. As always, you can follow me on my personal account at Andrew May underscore 21 on Twitter. Follow me on my Instagram, A underscore May 21. Links to the podcast will be posted there. Also, follow our show's Twitter account at Fourscore the Pod on Twitter. Follow Rob on his personal account on Twitter at RobOG6, R O B B O G6. Robo, two B's, R O B B O G6. If you want to email fan questions into the show, you can certainly do so at fourscorethepodcast at gmail.com. Send anything, any topic. We will certainly get to it. And if you want to leave voicemails in the voicemail listener line, you can certainly do that as well. 917-426-5789. 
888-957-9. Again, any topic, any team, any sport, anything, trivia ideas, you name it. Better jokes than the one Bruce presented to us tonight. You got anything, <laughs> you let us hear it in the voicemail line and we will certainly include you in the show. Everything is Daniel Jones's fault. We understood the premise of what you were saying, but yeah, then we, it went somewhere that we didn't it, expect it to go. We didn't know where it was going. And we started, quite frankly, I started wondering if you forgot to take your meds today. I hate you both. <laughs> I mean, that joke went south, <laughs> south. It went into the abyss. Why don't you go back in a hot tub with Huey Lewis there, Robbie? All right, jeez. Don Mattingly it was, not Huey Lewis. Again, Bruce proving he doesn't listen to us. He doesn't listen, no. Convoluting two separate stories, have nothing to do with each other. Both funny stories, by the way. But, you know, I feel bad. Rob is always the brunt of all my jokes. Bruce is getting a beat down tonight. I'm taking a lot of unnecessary abuse. Now, I, 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 keep, I keep joking with you, Bruce, that we might not invite you back. At this point, even when we do invite you back next week, are you going to actually come back on your own volition, or are you maybe just going to ghost us? I feel I feel like that bird that Randy Johnson poofed way back when. <laughs> on the spring training game, the slider. <laughs> Filthy slider. Bink. That wasn't a slider. <laughs> that projectile that did it, that bird, rest assured, was not a slider. <laughs> I know he throws hard. <laughs> that was sheer gas, my friend. Sheer All right. Gas. So on that note, we will see everybody next week. Like I said, follow us on Twitter. Send us your fan questions. Send us your fan voicemails. Interact with us in any way possible. Thank you all for continuing to listen, continuing to support. And we will talk to you guys next week. For Rob Dufresne and Bruce Shine, my name is Andrew May. Talk soon.